At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A warmer from you below. Welcome to Love You Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Also a part of the VEASAN family, that would be the College Basketball Betting Guide. You're able to get it right now if you're a VEASAN subscriber, VEASAN.com slash subscribe. I've got betting nuggets in there for every single D1 team that was on the betting board last season. For those of you guys that like my conference preview podcast, it's pretty much like those preview podcasts in written form. So we've got you guys all covered there. A lot of people like Matt Humans and company put a lot of work into that. So if you're looking more for futures, because I don't do a lot of that, our folks over there, they were able to help you out with that. Tim Murray, Adam Burke, John Von Tobel, list goes on and on. They did incredible work. With that and doing incredible work is Eli Becker of Heat Check CBB. He's going to be joining me in segment number two. We're going to be talking about some of the early season disappointments and surprises. We're going to be taking a look at the big events that are going out there in South Carolina as well. The Charleston Classic is going to be a good one. The Myrtle Beach Invitational as well. So we're going to give you guys a little bit of a primer there. So a little bit of recap from the first week of the season and turning it forward as well. In the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we hit some bank shots. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters CM, they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other ways find an Apple Podcast review if you rate this podcast five stars. Very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Didn't get in a lot of Twitter questions today, but that said, we had a pretty rambunctious day of college basketball on Wednesday. Let's take a look back at it. Let's try to find some trends and get to know these teams a little bit better. A game through yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Lots of high-scoring games to start off the day as you saw each of the first three games go over the total. It's Arkansas Pine Bluff. They got their cover loss in a sea of whistles against Kent State by kind of 94 to 68 as they were whistled for 30 fouls in this game. Kent State won 34 of 39 at the free throw line. If you like me at Arkansas Pine Bluff, that was relatively brutal. And then Sacred gets a cover, but it was very much an up-tempo game against UMass Lowell, 90-81 to 81 the final. And for UMass Lowell, by the way, you had a very good performance for Ayindi. Akeem, 18 points, 11 assists, 8 boards. So he did his part. Pittsburgh, they were looking game against Michigan in the first half, and then Michigan pulled away, 91-60 to 60 the final. This is a Pittsburgh team that looks very sad. John Ugly, clearly not 100%, played just 22 minutes, had 9 points in this game, but you want to see a little bit more out of him in future games as they lost the battle on the glass. 36 to 30. It wasn't even like Hunter Dickinson had a lights out game. 11 points, 
Two blocks, five assists. He just did a little bit of this and that. Off the bench, though, you did have Joey Baker. He was able to supply 14 points for Michigan, going four of five from three-point range. That was very solid. Jet Howard was able to have 17 points. Michigan, with just a hole is greater than some of its parts approach, they were able to take them down. DK Nation picks, unfortunately, went to 6-3-1. We took Florida Gulf Coast, and that did not pan out. Florida Gulf Coast goes 5-24 from three-point range. They lose to Tennessee by a count of 81-50. to Lots of whistles in this game. Florida Gulf Coast called for 26 fouls. Unable to hold up on the glass, losing that battle 41-27 to as for Tennessee after losing to Colorado. They bounce back with Josiah Jordan-James, just a Swiss Army knife for this team, putting in their 18 points, six boards. Olivier Kamwa, he had 18 points of his own, and Tennessee went 25 of 37 from the free throw line. Florida Gulf Coast, 17 of 22 from the charity stripe, so you had a lot of fouls called in that game. Toledo and Oakland got to 200, 112 to 90. Toledo gets the win. They shot 62.5% from the floor and 14 of 26 from three. Toledo did as you had JT Shulme go off for 33 points. You had 20 points off the bat bench from Darius Maddox in 28 minutes. And for Oakland, I mean, you had 30 points on six of seven three-point shooting from Trey Townsend, and it wasn't even enough to cover cover double digits. You also had 13 points off the bench from Ose Price. So, I mean, Oakland, who went 13 of 34 from three, they weren't bad. They only turned the ball over six times in this one, but they played not a single lick of defense and lost the rebound battle by a count of 47 to 30. So that doomed our good friend C. Grizzlies of Oakland. Detroit, they put up some numbers against Ohio, 88-74. The final Ohio goes to 6-26 from three-point range, 11-26 from distance from Detroit as Antoine Davis. 28 points. He has averaged at least 23.9 points per contest in every game in his college basketball career. He is getting some help. He had Demezi Anderson and Jordan Phillips combined for 28 points in this one as they want to combine 5 of 8 from 3-point range. That'll fly Detroit. They get a very nice win as a very, very slight underdog in a lot of spots in this one. As an underdog, Northern Kentucky rises up. They went outright against Cincinnati by kind of 64-51. to 51. Cincinnati always a little bit of a strange team because I always like their pieces, but I don't necessarily like the makeup. And in this one for Cincinnati, they did not do a good job on glass, losing that battle by a count of 31 to 27. And just all about Chris Brandon. 10 points, 16 rebounds for Northern Kentucky as you also have Marquise Warwick. Go off for 22 points. It's Northern Kentucky. They go 6 of 11 from three-point range. A game that featured very, very few possessions goes the way of the North. Tulane, they get the win. They don't cover the 20 and a half slash 21 on the close. 99 to 79 the final. Tulane looking very solid, though. Coming across a double-double, 17 points, 10 rebounds. And then you had Ty Pope off the bench. Be able to deliver 14 points, 8 rebounds in the Gavit games. It was all about Iowa. They go to Seton Hall and... They pound Seton Hall by a count of 83 to 67 for Iowa. How about Chris Murray? 29 points, 11 rebounds. Philip Bracha had a double-double as well for Seton Hall. Lifeblood of them has been turnovers. Getting them, instead, they lost a turnover rattle. 16 to 8 in this one as Seton Hall did get 13 points off the bench from Dre Davis. They went 8 of 22 from three-point range, but Iowa taking care of the ball was the big-time difference in this one. He saw Army in overtime take down Siena by a count of 96 to 91 as Army shot 61% from the floor and 8 of 17 from three-point range. A massive performance 
from Colton Benson. Benson, 21 points on 5 of 7 three-point shooting. And for Sienna, he had 4 of 5 three-point shooting out of Jace Johnson. So that's a little bit of a tough one if you took Sienna as Sienna a, looked like they were in relatively good position late in this one. They were up 8 points with about 7 minutes remaining. And for that matter, they were up by a count of 5 points with less than a minute remaining. Actually, they were up 7 points with a minute remaining. And, well, they made like your buddy at the bar. They could not close. Notre Dame, they got the win. They were unable to close on the cover. 82 to 70 as Notre Dame's defense is back to what it's been the last few seasons, just complete and utter garbage. They only forced seven turnovers against a team that at this time last year was playing at the D2 level. How about Trevor Lake, someone who I remember he was actually recruited by Nebraska, 21 points. He was able to look very solid for Southern Indiana. The offense of Notre Dame looks good. They go 9 to 26 from three point range, 13 to 28 at the charity stripe. Trey Wirtz was able to put in there 20 points. You were able to have Nate Lashevsky go off for a double double. So the Notre Dame offense looking good. Defense not so great. If you had South Dakota State catching between 15 and 15 and a half points, congratulations on the back door as they were down 64 to 37 with eight minutes remaining. They can a very, very late three that was significant to some to cover. 71 to 56 of final thoughts and prayers for anyone that had Arkansas. Arkansas in this game got a very good performance from Ricky Council at 19 points and off the bench. Trayvon Brazil, 13 points, 10 boards, pair of blocks for South Dakota State, 3 of 16 for 3 par range, and this team just can't take care of the ball. Second straight game in which they had 20-plus turnovers, but they were able to get there on the back door. Houston, they covered north of 30 as they take down Texas Southern by a count of 83-48. to 48. I mean, this Houston team is incredible. Marcus Sasser goes off for 20 points. You're able to get 19 points, 6 boards out of Jarris Walker. You even add double figures in this game from Jawan Roberts. Houston, they just completely pounded Texas Southern into oblivion, forcing 18 turnovers out of them while they themselves turned the ball over just 7 times. Jamal Shedd, he was able to dole out six assists to just two turnovers. And Houston only went 5-19 from three-point range, and they still won this game by over 30 points. So Houston, they are looking completely locked and loaded once again. Chicago State, back-to-back wins for them. They are at 500. They take down Valparaiso 87-74, and they were up 25 at the half. They go 10 of 16 from three-point range. 24 big points out of Leslie Cardat Jr., the former top 150 recruit. That was at Sanford last season, Ben Cricky. 27 points for Valparaiso, but looking like it's going to be a long year for the Crusaders. As they lost this battle on the glass by kind of 28 to 24 for Valparaiso. They only turned the ball over eight times. Couldn't really put the ball in from three-point range. Kobe King, 4 of 16 from the floor. When Kobe King is not going, typically it's not going well for this team. Impressive performance by UAB, 92 to 61. They take down the Blue Host or Presbyterian as they were another north of 25 point favorite that covered and man we have really been seeing a lot of these big favorites covering early on during the season I think that that's going to cause for a lot of value on underdogs towards back half of the season we shall see if that holds a form though but that said when it comes to this UAB bunch they were able to get a very nice performance out of Eric Gaines who was able to give the team 16 points Dennis says you had Jolly Walker go for 15 points team overall goes 6 of 16 from 3 point range for Presbyterian just a sad team right now. They had 21 made buckets. They had 19 turnovers. That is not what you want to see if you're a fan of the Blue Hosts. And this is what you do want to see if you're a fan of unders. Eastern Illinois just continues to be terrible. They have scored 62 points or fewer in 32 out of their last 33 games against C1 competition. They cover, but it was ugly. 65-43 to 43 the final is for Ohio State. Zedke, a double-double, 10 points, 14 rebounds. They're dealing with Eugene Brown being out due to a concussion, so do want to be noting that. And yet off the bench, Bryce Sensabaugh, the freshman, 20 points. Do like what I'm seeing there, but for Eastern Illinois, not looking too great for them. For Eastern Kentucky... 
This is a bunch that they continue to get off to slow starts. They were trailing at the half against Hampton, and for that matter, they were down 50-35. to If you took a late number on East Carolina, you might have been able to get there because Hampton got up to right around 10 to 10 and a half points. This was a number that was bouncing all around, but Hampton, they were up by kind of 70 to 57 with 723 remaining. East Carolina goes on a 25 to 3 run. So if you were able to get some sort of like an 8.5 slash 9, which was an early number you got there on East Carolina, which is remarkable. They go 10 of 33 from 3. And for Hampton, you were able to get a solid game out of Russell Dean, 23 points, but 16 turnovers killed them. East Carolina, they're clearly saving their best for last in a lot of these games. So if you're looking for a team that you might want to fade in the first half and that you want to bet in the second half, that might be your suspect letter A in terms of that one. I'm having to do this just before we're seeing a final in VCU versus Arizona State. But that said, it's looking like VCU should be able to take care of business for Arizona State. They're currently without Marcus Bagley, so two taken out of that. And they began 3 of 18 for three-point range, so not too, necessarily too terrific on that front. But it is always terrific to take a look at college basketball. And right now, as I'm doing this, no final. I will have that for the Greg Peterson Experience, which is from midnight to 3 Eastern on VSIM. But right now, as I do this, Texas up 38 to 30 in the first half on Gonzaga. We shall see on that one. But something else that we are seeing, I was alluding to it with favorites in terms of against the spread record. They're actually a little bit below 500. It feels like the big favorites are covering, the small favorites are not. And home underdogs, they're having their day as well. Home underdogs thus far this season, 41 and 32 against the spread. Favorites overall, 210, 214, and 5 against the spread. So hitting at 49.5%. We've been seeing quite a few overs thus far this season as well. 214 overs, 208 unders. And if you're looking in terms of pushes, I believe that we've got a grand total of seven of them as well. So that's what we've all been seeing in college basketball thus far this season, and that's what we got in college basketball on Wednesday. Like I said, I have to record this a little bit earlier. I'll say I'd have a little bit more in terms of Gonzaga versus Texas, but I'll be sure to have that for you on the Greg Peterson Experience and have that for you guys tomorrow. But coming up next, we are going to be talking to Eli Becker, who does amazing work at each XCBB. Get his thoughts on some of these surprises from the first week plus of the season and turn it forward. Look at these multi-team events. They're going down in South Carolina starting on Thursday. Next, here on Coast to Coast Seeps with myself, Greg Eats Peterson, now a part of the DC Family of Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas with Jessica Seeps, with myself, Greg Hughes, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always great to get on this guest as Eli Becker, one of the best in the business of taking a look at college basketball, a man that is actually the founder of Heat Check CBB, is great at coordinating all that you find from that tremendous network. He is based, much like myself, out here on the West Coast, and you are able to follow him on Twitter at Betker underscore Eli. My name is spelled B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R. Eli, it is always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me. Yes, thank you much. As always, Greg, for having me on. First time in a long time that we can actually talk about some games, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh, absolutely. I'm right there with you. And I thought that you guys over there at Heat Check CBB did something very interesting because you guys were looking at how each conference has performed this season. I know that you guys put that out on Wednesday. And I think a lot of people would be surprised, but the Big Ten has looked really solid. Obviously, the Big 12, we figured that it would be a good look for them. Meanwhile, we've seen some, shall we say, disappointments from conferences like the ACC, the Pac-12 list goes on and on. Just in terms of overall takeaways from the first week plus of the season, have there been any conferences in particular that you've either been very, very encouraged by or you're maybe out on them a little bit more based on what we've seen? Yeah, it's it's been a fascinating start. And there's been so much talk about how the first week of the season didn't really live up to maybe to the hype or at least the schedule didn't live up to the hype. And we've talked about it on Heat Check as well, but the, the schedule for the first week wasn't great. It's a lot of buy games. It's a lot of high major teams that are hosting single big league teams. And I think 
we would become to expect that that one produced any interesting results, but sure enough, it's produced a ton of interesting results. Even the first night we had, I believe it was TCU and Arkansas Pine Bluff went down to the final possession. TCU has been one of the teams that's been slow out of the gates. I think Creighton had some trouble with St. Thomas, uh, Florida state lost their season over against Stetson. So even when it's college basketball, Greg, like, you know, this as well as I do, even if there is a slate that doesn't carry much intrigue, you just know that there are going to be games that, eventually wind up producing upsets or producing close results. And I think to that point, I think the ACC and the Pac-12 have to be mentioned in particular here because they have lagged, you know, against their counterparts as far as just taking care of business and games that they should win. Uh, You know, we look up right now, Florida State and Louisville have yet to win a game. They're a combined 0-6. Boston College could very well be 0-3. They snuck away with uh, comeback victories against Cornell and Detroit. And then lost to a main team that currently ranks 343rd in Ken Palm. We saw Syracuse get killed again by Colgate for the second year in a row after, I believe, 58 wins in a row. I know that Jim Beheim was 18 years old the last time Cornell had beat, or excuse me, that uh, Colgate had beat them twice in a row. So it's a lot. And in Pac-12 has been honestly in the same same realm. We've struggled to win some of these games in the, the Pac-12 SWAC series. I mean, this is the first time that they rolled out this this challenge, which I think is great, and I think the message and the purpose behind it is great, but the Pac-12 could not take care of business. They lost every single road game against their SWAC counterparts, and the SWAC, it's, we'll call it what it is. They've been a punching bag in college basketball for a very long time. I still don't think it gets enough credit for that it deserves because it's a conference that has several more than capable coaches in that league, but a conference like the Pac-12 that has the resources, has the five-star talent, has the high major transfers like they do. You just can't go out and lose to Texas Southern and lose to Prairie View A&M. Washington State got destroyed by Prairie View A&M. Texas Southern came back and won. I think the other one was Grambling beat Colorado. At, at this point, like if you're a high major team, you just have to take care of business. And my school out here in the Pacific Northwest is University of Washington, where I went to school. Traditionally, I wouldn't be too thrilled about the Huskies, I'd say, taking care of business against you know the likes of Weber State, North Florida, and Utah Tech. But 3-0 is a lot better than 0-3, and there are some <laughs> high major teams that are 0-3 right now, and that puts you in a really, really challenging spot as far as trying to get an at-large bid in a few months. And that does lead to something that I think is going to be very interesting for this college basketball Thursday as well, as Eli Becker of He Check CBB is joining me on the podcast because you mentioned Colorado, and they've been one of the most interesting teams in college basketball this season because – they honestly had a solid win against UC Riverside to begin the season. You mentioned it. They lose to Grambling, and do not disrespect the SWAC, because while many people might be sleeping, sleeping on them, I mentioned on this podcast, they went 73-53-3 against the spread in non-conference games last season, so you're able to make money on this conference, but Colorado loses that game. But then they come back and they knock off Tennessee as like a 15-16 to 16 point underdog as well, and now they're going up against UMass. A UMass team that is shall we say, in a little bit of transition because they bring in Frank Martin as their coach. It's a Atlantic 10 that they had a bunch of coaching moves in the offseason, so I do think it's a fascination. And I think that this is going to be one of the more intriguing games for this college basketball Thursday. That is going to be a part of the Myrtle Beach Invitational out there in the great state of South Carolina. But I think that this is going to be an interesting, shall we say, measuring stick game because with Colorado, we've seen the best of them. We've seen the worst of them. With UMass, they've got talent. I just don't know when it's going to mesh together. 
can't imagine there have been many instances, at least in recent years, that a team has defeated or has been upset by a sub-300 Kenpom team on a Friday and then went and beat a top-10 Kenpom team on a Sunday. We're a week into this thing, and I think we've already seen the good and the bad from Colorado. It's interesting, and this is a team that I thought didn't receive quite enough pub in the preseason, and I think a lot of that just has to do with the Overall consistency of Tad Boyle, I think he could get any level of talent on that roster and could still manage to win 18, 19, 20 games and at least find his way into the NIT, if not the NCAA tournament. And it just so happened that Colorado had probably their best recruiting week in program history this past week. But as far as this season is concerned, I think that this team has a lot of potential. I think we saw that against Tennessee and that wasn't the typical volunteers performance just from a shooting perspective I thought they missed a lot of open shots that they typically would make but there's quite a bit of upside I think KJ Simpson is going to develop into one of the better guards in this conference he's a sophomore and thought he got some quality experience last year as a freshman I think he could uh, be capable of doing some good things and Tristan De Silva is still there Uh, he's a guy who brings some experience it's it's a pretty young team. I think that they'll run the bench pretty deep because I think at least at this juncture, I don't know if Tad Boyle truthfully knows what he has in store. There are a lot of guys who are, I think, on the cusp of becoming high-level Pac-12 starters. I'd probably toss in uh, Lawson Lovering in there as well because he's a 7-1 guy who's got quite a bit of versatility to his game as well. I think the potential is there for this Buffalo's team to, again, wind up winning 20 games. And as we've seen, as we touched on earlier, Greg, the bar to finish in the middle of the Pac-12, I don't really think is that high given what we've seen opening week out of the likes of Washington State, and Stanford, Arizona State, Cal. Um, Oregon State's had their struggles, and I don't think they're a team that's going to do a whole lot of damage this year. I I think it's pretty reasonable that Colorado could wind up finishing in the middle of the pack, and uh, that gets you at least in a position to hunt an at-large bid. And as you touched on with this tournament in general, speaking on the Myrtle Beach Invitational, a lot of these MTEs, I think, pretty will favor a team or two as kind of the headliners or as the team that could win the event. The Myrtle Beach Invitational feels wide open to me. You have Colorado, as we touched on, Loyal Chicago and Boise State they have been, you know, they were tournament teams this past season. They have some pieces back from those teams. Tulsa and UMass, got to toss those in. Texas A&M, I saw a lot of preseason buzz around them. And then even Charlotte and Murray State, it's a, it's a good field. And I think that you see a lot of teams out of this bunch of eight that probably could use a win or two in this event and would probably use that to propel them into the at-large conversation later on in the season. So, I think it's an opportunity. Everyone that's entering this tournament probably feels capable of winning it. So those are the most fun tournaments to me is when it's wide open. And I firmly believe this is going to be one of those cases. Uh, It could be a variety of different teams that we see meet in the final and uh, could honestly generate some at-large buzz out of some of these teams. Oh, I totally agree with you in terms of the Myrtle Beach Invitational. I would not want any sort of position on Tulsa winning it. That would be, to me, quite a bit of a surprise. But, I mean, any one of those other teams, like a team like a Charlotte, I could see being able to make a little bit of a run. Murray State, they've got a little bit of upside. They bring back Steve Prohm. So, I think that that's a fascinating one. And then we've got another multi-team event out there in South Carolina as well to take a look at. This one, I feel like the field is a little bit more stacked and, while Virginia Tech and Penn State are the two headliners, I mean, for Penn State, they do not have an early first-round game. They're going to be playing against Furman, who's going to be playing in the Carolinas, which is where they are based. 
that is a tough matchup for a Penn State team that I really like. If Virginia Tech subs their foot against Old Dominion as a double-digit favorite, I'd be shocked there. But you've got another in-state team in South Carolina. They're a little bit down, but they're going to have that home crowd. College of Charleston, they're playing inside their own city against Davidson. That's a matchup where either of those teams, if they win, they could be able to make that run and take this tournament as well. This is one that really, other than Old Dominion, sorry, Old Dominion, but other than them, it feels completely wide open as well. Yeah, it's a fun one. I Probably, if you asked me a month ago, I would probably lean decently heavy in Virginia Tech's favor to win this one. There's been a lot of preseason buzz about Furman. I think they're going to be an excellent team. They've got some absolute dudes on that roster who can make some serious damage when it comes to a March Madness tournament. Davidson is a team to watch as well. Um, they're off to a 3-0 start. Foster Lawyer is looking like one of the best guards in the country. He's been just electric for this team, and he nearly put up a triple-double in that double overtime win over Wright State, dropped 38 points and had 30 in their opener against a 91 opponent. But he's been tremendous. I, I still don't think you can count out Colorado State. Even without Isaiah Stevens, it's a it's a group that's led by Nico Medved who doesn't still get enough credit as a head coach and, and what he's been doing. And I think in the same vein, Pat Kelsey with College of Charleston, this is a pretty proud college basketball program. They have done some serious damage the last couple decades. And I think that they're just waiting to get back, waiting to get back in that conversation where they are one of these teams that's competing for regular season titles, competing for trips to the NCAA tournament. And I firmly believe that Pat Kelsey is the guy who can ultimately lead them back into where they expect to be. Um, they're off to a two and one start. Gave North Carolina a really good game. I think they dropped, I want to say, 50 points, if not more, in the first half against the Tar Heels uh, when they played last Friday and then had a pretty dramatic overtime win against Richmond earlier this week. So they're going to be a team to watch. This is a, the, both of these events that we've touched on Charleston Classic, Myrtle Beach Invitational. It's wait and see with a lot of these teams because you're mixing high majors who maybe has some intrigue that have started fast, but he still has some questions, which I do about Penn State and Virginia Tech. Same goes for South Carolina as well. And then you have some mid-majors that could very well be upset-minded teams in the tournament. Wouldn't surprise me if Furman is in those conversations or Davidson or Charleston. So uh, it should be a really fun event. I know the only team left out is ODU. And uh, <laughs> as you touched on, like probably not a whole lot of buzz with this team entering the, the MTE, but it should be a really fun event. I think both of these are wide open. It's a great way to tip off Feast Week, which is the best time of year. Uh, and I think we're going to get some really high-level basketball out of these teams. Oh, I totally agree with you. As Eli Becker of Heatcheck CBB is joining me on the podcast. And one of those teams in that Charleston Classic is Penn State. And among teams I've been pleasantly surprised by to begin the season, it's been Penn State. Penn State, one of the slowest teams at all of college basketball last season. And I think we both agree, still not an up-tempo team. They're playing a little bit faster than last season, but they've just become so stinking efficient on offense. I still have question marks with them down low, but I've really warmed up on them in terms of the first week of the season. They've been one of my biggest surprises, and really you've got a few teams from the Big Ten that have been. Michigan State, you got to give them credit for losing by one against Gonzaga and then going into the Champions Classic and getting that win. Or a few other teams that you've taken a look at first week plus of the season, and they stood out to you. I'll give you one more before you answer, because I think that James Madison certainly deserves kudos for the way that they have been drubbing everyone and looking amazing on offense. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you touched on Michigan State because I felt like I went off on a limb, at least in the preseason. The rest of the Heat Check staff rocked with uh, Illinois for the Big Ten title, and I went with Michigan State. It just felt like this is a team that has some 
experience. They have a guys who are developing or coming along. It just felt like the typical Tom Izzo team that, that exceeds expectations. And I think there are plenty of question marks about some of the teams that are at least picked towards the top of the Big Ten entering the year. I think Indiana has some questions about how they're going to shoot against high-level competition. Illinois, it's kind of wait and see as far as how their new pieces fit together. I think Michigan, point guard com- conversations, similar similar vein as Illinois, and honestly Purdue as well. But uh, Penn State, as you mentioned, they're off to a really efficient start. I think it's just a matter of ironing out what this front court looks like because trotting out six, seven, six, eight guys in the front court against probably the best big man conference in all of college basketball when you have to go and face off against Zach Eady, Trace Jackson Davis, multiple guys, Hunter Dickinson's in there as well. It's a really, really good big man league. Zed, Zed Key has to be in the conversation as well. How is that going to work, I think, is my biggest question for Penn State. Because they have the guards, they have the wings who can score, and that's great. Uh, but once they face off and have these stretches like they do where they're playing in these MTEs and then they have to – go play at Clemson, they host Michigan State, they go to Illinois. Like, what is what is that stretch going to look like for a Micah Shrewsbury team? That's what I'm intrigued by. I think it's a good start, and they already have a quality win against Butler. I think I have to wait and see a little bit more out of this team. But the teams that are off to early starts, I'm glad that you mentioned James Madison. Our staff is, is really high on them and their scoring potential. I think they've got a decent shot to upset North Carolina, given the way that they started. I think Utah State deserves a little bit of credit. They've been, uh, similar to the teams that we've touched on earlier, they've been really efficient on the offensive end. They've already picked up three top 150 Ken Palm wins in their first three games in the season. They've scored 75 points on 72 possessions, 84 on 72 possessions, and 96 on 79 possessions. So they're really scoring the basketball. Taylor Funk and, and Stephen Ashworth are a really good one-two duo so far. I think we still have breakout potential from Sean Barristow. And then one of the guys who I think has a ton of potential is Max Shulga. He's a Ukrainian native. He played in, I believe, some FIBA events over the summer and just balled out. And I think he could be that type of wing bucket getter type player that Utah State needs. Kind of like a Sam Merrill, I guess, if you want to kind of put him in the same vein. I think what Utah State's lacked since Sam Merrill left is that kind of guy who can go and get you buckets. They've had a lot of really good role players since then. But if Max Shola can be that guy, and I do firmly believe that he can, I think Utah State can start creeping up back into that top three, top four conversation in the Mountain West like they were under Craig Smith. So I'll be curious to keep my eyes on them. And so far, it's been a pretty solid start for the Mountain West. They've picked up some key victories. UNLV defeated Dayton recently. Same goes with New Mexico knocking off SMU. San Diego State has held serve. So I'm intrigued to see what comes of the Mountain West. They've been such a good regular season conference uh, these past couple of years. It just hasn't translated into March play. So we'll see if this is the year they can pull it off. We shall see as it is going to also be a very interesting game for Utah State coming up on Thursday against San Diego, a team that they brought in some talent in the offseason, bringing in someone like a Jaden Dallaire, who is a double-figure scorer while he was at Stanford last season, Eric Williams over at Oregon, Siku Shishu Jawara, who was over at Weber State. So that is going to be a great matchup. And Eli, I know that you're plugged in on all of these games. You're doing an amazing job taking a look at all the action that we are getting. And I know that all of you guys over there at HXCBB are some of the hardest workers that you're going to find in the industry. Love the good people at home. Know how they're able to follow you on social media and just what's all on tap for you and the network. Yeah, I appreciate that, Greg. Great time of year as I touched on. Feast Week is the best. Uh, I'll be heading down to Portland to cover 
the Finland Invitational, which will be a really fun event. It was five years ago, and I think it'll be really great to see some high-level basketball teams down there. We have guys all across the country covering different games, getting credential for different games. So it's really exciting to dive into this new season. As always, you can follow our stuff at HeatCheckCBB on the different social media handles. And, uh, of course, all of our written content and podcast content can be found on HeatCheckCBB.com. And Eli, along with everyone over there at Heat Check CBB, they do such an amazing job taking a look at the game that we love. So many great writers over there. So many great analytical views as well. Always great to have Eli aboard. Big thanks to him for joining me right here on Cross to Cross Soups. Now part of the Visa Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we get some big shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so... There's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Everyone right here love Las Vegas. We're Chris with myself, Greg Spears, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And it is always a pleasure to get Eli Becker on the show. He does amazing work over there at Heat Check CBB, the founder of that great platform, taking a look at the game that we love of college basketball. It is always a pleasure to have him aboard. Big thanks to him. Now it is that time the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we hit some bank shots. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. Do you note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRs41. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation or This is where we go with more of the major conference games first, and then games involving teams from like the NEC, the Patriot League, the America East, WAC, MEAC, Southland. Those are going to be at the bottom, so that'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. And let us begin with 713-714 on the betting board. It is UMKC on the road facing off against Kansas State. Kansas State is a favorite of 17.5 points, seeing a straight 19 out there, but mostly seeing 17.5. And your total on this game, you're finding it at a 140.5. I did set my total at a 138. I'm going to be diving under. Marvin Menzies looks to be playing very slow with his UMKC team, and that's just flat out due to the fact that UMKC really doesn't have a lot of offense. As a result, I did set Kansas State as a 19.5 point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay it. Keontae Johnson looks to be back to his old form that he had at Florida. During the 2019 season, was averaging 14 points, shot 38% from three with seven boards per contest, 29 points, 11 rebounds, first two games of the season. So far, so good there. With UMKC, it's a backcourt that they lose a lot from last season. Anderson Kopp, he was finally able to get back out there on the floor in the team's last game. That's big because he shot 42% from three last season, but still a team really breadth of a lot of talent. You've got one guy that's averaging more than five and a half rebounds per game and Alan David Mokeba Jr., who 
He's really a little bit of an off-to-the-radar guy that I don't think is going to be able to put up great numbers this season. They do have Shamari Allen still. He last season was solid for the team. He was able to pump in their five points, few assists per contest, but they're needing him to do it all in the backcourt. That's not a great recipe. Meanwhile, for Marquis Sowell, 14 assists of three turnovers in his first two games of the season. Not a supreme three-point shooter, but a guy that's able to do out the ball. Has averaged over two steals per contest each out of the last two seasons. You've got Takai Green, the transfer from the America East in Stony Brook, who has been able to do a nice job giving this team 17 points as well. Does he seals the salt out there in the backcourt? Ismail Moussad is able to pop some threes as a six foot nine little bit of a combo player. Kansas State just has so many different weapons. UMKC has none of them. With Kansas State, very good versatility. UMKC, a work in progress with a coach I'm not too fond of in Marvin Menzies. Set Kansas State as a 19 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it with the total set it at a 138 with UMKC's lack of offensive weapons. So, taking a look at this total under to go with Kansas State. 715, 716 on the betting board. St. John's is going to be playing us to Nebraska. Nebraska is a 10 and a half to an 11 point underdog. Total on this game, between 156 half and 157 half. Semi-total at a whopping 165. I'm willing to take it over. St. John's, one of the quickest teams in all of college basketball. And they've really done a good job in the last few days of not turning the ball over. It's been looking a little bit better on the front of Andre Carbello and Pasha Alexander. These two guys are combining for 11.7 assists to about 5.4 turnovers per contest. Would still like to see the turnovers go a little bit more southward, but that's a good sign for this team. And I do think that they're going to get a little bit more of Dylan Adi Wusu. He's a very good scorer. Last season gave the team 8.5 points, shot 38% from three-point range. After a pedestrian night, number one, 23 points in the last two contests. You've got someone in Joel Soriano who's giving you 8.5 rebounds per game. And the great versatility of David Jones is big as well. Comes in after he had a triple-double in a game last season. For DePaul, he's been able to register right around 18.5 points, eight boards, three assists. I like his overall game in Nebraska. Just not going to be able to match up with him. I do like that they brought in Sam Griesel, but He's coming in from North Dakota State, an up transfer that last season at North Dakota State, 14.5 points, 6.5 boards, shot 38% from three. This is high-level competition now, and that's a little bit tough. Emmanuel Bandemel, 24 points in the first two games. That's something that you do like to see, but... Nebraska also shooting 64% in the free throw line. I do think that this is going to be a team that's going to have a tough time just being able to dish out the ball because you don't have a necessarily supreme point guard, a good ball handler. Kisi Shominga, he's someone I do have a little bit of upside with. He had a good start to the year last season, then he started to get fewer and fewer minutes, but the team really doesn't have a lot down low. Blaze Kita is someone that... They're looking for big production out of it. I just don't know if they're going to be able to get it. St. John's is a team that's looking to run it and gut it. Nebraska is a team that consistently under this current regime of the mayor himself has been playing super-duper up-tempo. I set my total at 165 as a result, looking at the over. And with St. John's, one to lay up to 12.5 with them, set them as a 13-point favorite. So looking to lay it here with St. John's to go along with this total over. We go 7-17, 7-18 on the betting board. East Tennessee State is going to be playing us a Little Rock. Little Rock is anywhere between a 9.5 to a 9-point underdog in your total on this game. It's between 147 and 147.5. Set East Tennessee State as a 9.5-point favorite. So at 9 or less, I'm going to be willing to lay it with East Tennessee State. If we get up to double figures, I'd be willing to take the points. With Little Rock, this is one I have yet to fire in on just because it is a very tight line at this point. But... 
with that said, with Little Rock, you do have a lot of guys that come back after they were just flat out banged up last season. So a clean bill of health is very big for them. Having back some like a D and Tony Gordon, who while he was at Wichita State a few seasons ago, was a little bit of an afterthought at Little Rock. He's been able to find a home, being able to register a little bit over 10 points per contest while he's been here. That is good for the team. Six foot eight, a little bit of a combo player. Marion Gardner going to be able to do a solid job down low, but Josh Taylor, I think, is going to be able to take him to task. Taylor is someone that began his career at Georgia. Really didn't see a lot of playing time, but it's done a nice job down low to begin the season. 29 rebounds in the first three games of the season. You've got some good three-point shooting. DeAnthony Tipler, who comes in from Coastal Carolina, who was a 40% three-point shooter two seasons ago, and then Jordan King last season. Made 43% of his threes with 14.5 points, 2.5 assists, 3.5 rebounds per game, so a good stat sheet suffer. Jalen Haynes, someone who was a little bit of an afterthought at Virginia Tech, has come in. He's looked solid for this team. You've got a lot more depth with East Tennessee State than a Little Rock, a team that they just have a bunch of misfit parts. Now, I do like the junior college transfer, Nigel John. Grandy Juco Recruiting.com, a top 10 junior college transfer, and he's been able to do a nice job down low, averaging six half boards, a little bit over 11 points per contest, but Little Rock, not a good team from three-point range. They're currently shooting 24% from three. That'll go northward a little bit, but they're going to be towards the bottom of college basketball, just in terms of shooting in general. East Tennessee State, they're a team that they really don't play a lot of defense, but they play super-duper slow, and with a Little Rock team that they can't throw it in the ocean. I did something I told at 144, looking at the under, with East Tennessee State at a nine or less, I'm to lay it. If you get up to double figures, I do think the Little Rock, with the way that they've got a lot of depth down low, they're going to be able to hang in there. So, all depends upon the number at 9 or less. Willing to lay with East Tennessee State and taking a look at this total under. 719, 720 on the betting board. Marshall is on the road facing off against Miami of Ohio. Miami of Ohio is an underdog of between 3.5 and, and 4 points and your total on this game is in between 156.5 and 157 with Miami of Ohio. I made them the favorite of 1.5 points. I'm going to be looking at them on the money line Marshall last season was ghastly bad from three-point range, and it does help that they bring in Camden Kerfman, a double-figure scorer last season at VMI, a guy that's able to can right around 40% of his threes, so a lot of upside there. But when it comes to Miami of Ohio, are they a well-coached team under Travis Seal? No, but you've got Mikhail Larry. You can bail him out. Mikhail Larry in the team's last game against Georgia, 34 big points last season. He averaged 13 and a half points, three and a half assists, shot 91% of the free throw line two seasons ago, shot 41% from three-point range. He's just a walking bucket for this team. Now, speaking of walking buckets, Davion Kinsey, 51 points in the first two games of the season. You've got Andrew Taylor, two seasons ago, shot 41% from three. He's currently averaging 18 and a half points, five boards, four and a half assists. He's a good set, cheat suffer. And then Obiana Onchili Killian, it's something that last season averaged two and a half blocks per contest. He just seems to have really regressed, though. And with this Miami of Ohio team, Billy Smith has been able to do a relatively solid job. Freshman big man, averaging 10 points, six half boards. I like his overall upside with Miami of Ohio, a team that was a little bit sketchy on defense last season. They look to be playing more of it. They've got three different guys averaging more than two steals per contest. The guy that I really like is Julian Lewis. Lewis says far coming in for William and Mary has looked solid after he last season was a starter for them and he's currently averaging four assists, two and a half steals per game. I do think that the backcourt of Miami of Ohio is going to be able to turn over a Marshall team that looks to play very, very up-tempo. I saw my total as a result of 159 and a half. Neither of these teams necessarily efficient on defense. Marshall a little bit better with their three-point shooting than last season, but I do think that Miami of Ohio going to do a solid job down the line. I think that Bakai Larry going to be the best player out there on the floor. So looking at the over semi-total 159 and a half, 
made Miami of Ohio this slight one and a half point favorite. So looking at Miami of Ohio as a money line underdog, 721, 722 on the betting board. It is Towson, and they are on the road facing up against UNC Greensboro. Greensboro is between a pick'em to a one point favorite, and your total on this game is between 129 and a half and 130. Did somebody tell 127.5? I'm going to be looking at the under. This is a Towson team that is relatively efficient on defense. Both of these teams play at a slow pace. Both of these teams outside the top 250 in terms of possessions per game last season. UNC Greensboro's main bugaboo is that they allow a lot of points from three. As a matter of fact, among the points that they allowed last season, they had the highest percentage come from three-point range of any team in college basketball last season. That is going to be an issue for them now. I like that they bring in Keandre Kennedy. Kennedy last season while he was at UMBC was able to be relatively solid for the team. He has come in and been able to give the team 28 points in the first two games of the season. Helps out the three-point shooting a little bit, something that they need. Dante Tracy, while he was over at Robert Morris a few seasons ago, was able to throw off the ball. Thus far, he's been able to give the team right around eight assists in the first two games of the season, but Greensboro plays slow. Last season, they really had turnover woes. This year, that hasn't necessarily reigned true, but that's because Greensboro has played against a Miami team that is enforcing seals like they did last season and has played against a non-D1 team. Meanwhile, for Towson, they went on the road, they knocked off Penn, they went on the road, they knocked off UMass. I really like what I'm seeing out of this Towson team as Nicholas Timberlake. He was a 40% three-point shooter last season. As far as this season, he's been able to chuck in there 19 points per contest. Then you've got the Matrix, Cameron Holden, because he fills up every section of the stat sheet. Not a great three-point shooter, but someone that last season was able to give the team 13.5 points, three assists, two steals, eight rebounds per contest. Absolutely love what he's able to bring to the table for this team. And you're starting to get a little bit more down low. I could tell that they were a little bit banged up with Charles Thompson to begin the season. Looks like he's back to his normal self. 14 points, eight rebounds in that game against Penn. You've got solid depth when it comes to this Towson team. Even someone like a Jason Gibson is able to pop some threes. So I do look at this spot and I think that Towson should be the favorite. They've already went on the road. They've already been able to overcome some of those tests. And I do think that they're going to be able to do so once again in this one. I do think that it's going to be a very slow game. So my total at a 127.5 UNC Greensboro hangs their head on defense. But with their main deficiency being giving up the three-point arc and a Towson team that is well-rounded and they're able to do a good job of moving around the ball, I think that that is going to be an issue for them. So looking at Towson on the money line as I did set them as a favorite of three points as a matter of fact. So looking at them as a money line underdog to go along with this total under. 723, 724 on the betting board. It is Richmond. They're going to be playing us at Wichita State. Wichita State is a four and a half to a five and a half point underdog and your total on this game is 133 and with Wichita State, I set them as a seven and a half point underdog. Richmond is going to be without Matt Grace in this game. Not someone that has ever been a supreme scorer for the team, but he was expected to take a little bit of a step up for this bunch. That said, who you are going to have out there on the floor, that'd be Tyler Burton. Burton had an absolutely monstrous game in the team's loss against Charleston. He had over 35 points, and this kid is just very, very special in general. He's able to give you eight half rebounds per game, and with Wichita State, just a lot of moving parts at this point. They have yet to get clearance for one of their bigger transfers, a guard that comes in from the Metro Atlantic, and Kobe Rogers, who last season averaged 14 points per contest, was a good three-point shooter, and thus, this team is at hole right now. They're looking to Xavier Bell, someone who was at Drexel last season, gave Drexel 11 points per contest, mid-33-point shooter, but just not the same. They really only bring back two players from last year, and... Craig Porter Jr., and then you've also got Kenny Photo, 
Poto, he's six foot eleven. He's able to pop a few threes, but isn't necessarily stout down low. And then you've been able to have Craig Porter be a Swiss Army knife guy last season. Seven and a half points, five boards, three and a half assists, a block, a steal per contest. So he does it all. But with Richmond, you've got Mr. Do It All and Tyler Burton who has better size. And I like what I've seen out of Jason Nelson. Star freshman has been able to give the team 14 and a half points, three assists. Not a great three-point shooter, but he's doing a good job of taking on that Jacob Gillier role. Isaiah Bigelow, he comes in from Wofford, and he has looked solid after last season at Wofford. He was able to give the team five and a half rebounds per contest. He's in a nice job being able to fill up that sort of role. Neil Quinn is a seven-footer that's able to pop three, so all the ball, Jason Roche. He's a solid three-point shooter as well. Richmond, I just feel like, has better pieces than with Wichita State. Dealing with some guys that have eligibility issues, that does put them behind the eight ball. Richmond, not a team that plays fast. Wichita State hangs around on defense as well. That said, with Wichita State not looking whole, and Richmond being a relatively efficient offensive team, I think that this is a little bit too low, considering I do think that this is going to be in that six to eight point range with a minute left to go, and you know what that means. Fellows upon fellows, I set my total at 134.5 looking over and one to lay up to seven points with Richmond. 725, 726 on the betting board. Indiana State is going to be playing us to North Dakota State. The Bison are finding themselves as 9.5 to 10 point underdogs in your total on this game. In between 143.5 and 144.5, I set this Indiana State team as a 10 point favorite. So at 9.5 or less, and I'm mostly seeing 9.5, I'm going to be looking to lay with them. Indiana State, they bring in Josh Schertz, who was the coach at Lincoln Memorial two seasons ago. He's really looking to push a tempo with this team, and he's brought in a bunch of D2 All-Americans, and it's going to be tough for a North Dakota State team that loses most of everything from last season to be able to match up with that. With Indiana State, really like Covisier McCauley. I remember he was a D2 All-American at Lincoln Memorial a few seasons ago. He's come in, and he's been able to give the team 37 points in the first two games of the season. A lights-out shooter, someone that's able to dole out the ball. He does a little bit of everything. Xavier Bledson is someone that has been able to do a nice job of being able to dole out the ball as well, giving you three-plus assists per contest. Julian Larry, he's come in. He's been able to give the team four and a half assists after last season. And a solid campaign, shooting about 35%. From three-point range, Indiana State doesn't necessarily have supreme size, so if there is an advantage to be had for this North Dakota State team, it is Grant Nelson. The fact that he's six foot eleven, he's able to bury a few threes last season at eleven and a half points, five boards thus far this season, fifteen point seven points, nine rebounds per game. But North Dakota State does not really help him out with a lot in the backcourt. You've been able to get some. Good production out of Tarjavis Miller, a little bit of an under-the-radar freshman that has come in and has been able to give this team some facilitation. And then Broden Skungberg, who last season was able to give the team right around three and a half boards and six points per contest. He has really had to take on the mantle for this team. He's averaging a little bit over 11 points per contest, but... This is just a North Dakota State team that they're having a lot of guys needing to take a big giant step up. They really don't have that main facilitator as they've been averaging over 15 turnovers per contest. That is a massive issue with this team. So when it comes to North Dakota State, I do feel like they should be an underdog of 10 points. I'm willing to lay nine and a half or less when it comes to Indiana State. North Dakota State not playing as good of defense as they have in the past just because of all these moving parts in Indiana State. They are looking to run it and gun it. Set my total at a 145 and a half. So going to be taking a look at the over to go along with Indiana State laying nine and a half or less. 727, 728 on the winning board. It is Brown. And what can Brown do for you? Well, if they win this game by at least eight points, they'll be able to make you some money. They are between a seven and a seven and a half point favorite. Your total on this game They're between 144 and a half and 145. And hey, I did make Brown an eight point favorite. I'm not willing to lay anything more than seven and a half, but I'm willing to lay seven and a half when it comes to the Bears of Brown. I do like the backcourt 
of this team. Keno Lilly Jr. is a solid three-point shooter that was able to give the team double figures last season. And on top of that, you do have someone in Nana Usu Awane, who I think is really going to be able to take off. He played for Team Canada in a FIBA under-19 event a few seasons ago. He's been able to give the team nine points, seven half rebounds, few assists per contest. So he's been able to help out that versatility now. He had seven turnovers in the team's last game against Loyola Maryland as well. He's going to need to clean that up. But that said, you do have quite a bit in this backcourt to be able to help him out. You've got someone like Akimo Ferrari, who last season wasn't necessarily a supreme scorer, but is able to draw out the ball a little bit. He's able to give you just some good versatility, move around the ball. Paxson Wojcik is a career about 36, 37% three-point shooter. He's currently averaging 12.5 points per contest, nice six foot five combo player. And for Sony Brook, they're relying upon a bunch of up transfers. Keenan Sarvin, who comes in from Coppin State, Last season, I had six points per contest in the MIAC. He's one of their main guys at six foot ten. Frankie Poselli, he's been able to give the team eight rebounds as a six foot seven, a little bit of a combo player. Did shoot thirty six percent from three point range last season, but for Sony Brook, they really don't have a lot down low. They're a rough three point shooting team, making right around twenty eight percent of their triples. I don't think that that's necessarily going to be going a whole heck of a lot more northward this season because I just am not bullish on guys like Katenaj Petaway, who last season when I was at Sony Brook just could not see any minutes out there on the floor at all. They're completely gutted from what they had a season ago, and they're really relying upon Tyler Stevenson more to be able to take off after last season as a starter. Seven and a half points per contest. Did shoot 45% from three, but in a low usage role, now in a higher usage role. You can tell that he's struggling a little bit. This is a Brown team that they do a okay job with their perimeter defense. I do think that Osu Awane is really doing a solid job down low, being able to give this team some rebounds. Sony Brook not doing a great job on offense. Brown not an up-tempo team. Set my total at 134. As a result, I'm diving under him with Brown. Did make them an eight-point favorite, so willing to lay seven and a half or less with them. 729, 730 on the bang board. North Dakota is going to be on the road facing off against Elon. Elon is a favorite of between five and six points, and total on this game is 143 and a half. And when it comes to Elon, I did set them as an eight-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay this number with Elon. It's just a case in which I don't necessarily think that they're great, but they're going up against really bad competition as this North Dakota team, one of the most pathetic teams on defense in all of college basketball last season, and they really didn't bring in anyone to be able to improve that. It just feels like Caleb Nero, the transfer from Weber State, has not been able to find his footing with this program. And then you just go down the list for the team. You really have no sort of rebounding as you've been able to get a little bit out of Sonsi Sosarstu. He comes in from the country of Georgia. He's been able to give you right around 11.5 points, 5 rebounds per contest. But... They need to have someone step up. Elijah Brooks as a freshman. He's been able to give the team right around eight points. Few assists, few rebounds. But this is a North Dakota State team that they really don't have a lot of three-point shooting. They've been able to shoot 34% this season. I think that that's going to be going downward. Shooting 55% at the free throw line. Turning the ball over left and right. And then for Elon, it is all about Torrance Watson and what you're able to get out of him. Began his career at Missouri. My season gave the team nine points, three boards. Okay player for this team. And... Okay, in this game is better than what you're able to get out of North Dakota. Zach Irvin, he last season was solid, being able to shoot about 35% from three, seven and a half points per contest. Not really a supreme player by any stretch of the imagination, but someone that's able to pop threes down low for Elon. It's not like you've got a ton. Watson is right now the main rebounder for the team, but I think that someone like a John Bowen III has a little bit of upside. Began his career at UNC Wilmington and has been able to come in, give the team a few rebounds. He's able to pop a couple threes as a six foot nine combo player. So 
something I don't think that North Dakota is going to be able to defend against. Elon has been having a tough time putting the ball in the basket, but going up against one of the worst defenses in all of college basketball in North Dakota should be able to help out with that. You got a North Dakota team that they're really not looking to play super duper slow here as well. As a result, I made my total 144.5, so at the 143.5, willing to take this total over with Elon, willing to lay up to eight with them, so taking Elon on the spread as well. 731, 732 on the betting board. You've got Louisiana Lafayette, and they are going to be playing us to Louisiana Tech. They call them just Louisiana, but on some betting boards, they call them Louisiana Lafayette, and that's important because the Louisianas can get confused, but Louisiana, the home team, is between a two and a half and a three-point favorite. Tech, the road team, is the underdog, and your total on this game, it is between 143 and 143 and a half, and that is always something that you want to know when you've got two teams from the same state. It can get a little bit confusing, but that's it. With the Raging Cajuns, set them as a two-point favorite, so I'm going to be looking to take Tech at two and a half or more with Louisiana Tech. Like the fight that they showed against Texas Tech, it was a game that it looked like it was going to be getting away from them a little bit, and then they did a very nice job of being able to rally for Louisiana Tech. They still have a lot of their backcourt from last season. They lose Kenny Lofton, who I called the big sexy of college basketball because he looked like Bartolo Colon last season, but that said, you've got somebody like Incobe Williams. Williams last season was able to give the team 11.5 points, three assists, did a solid job there. He's been able to splash in there 16 points per contest this season, shooting a well from three. Overall, you got a tech team that's shooting about 28.5% from three, but your top th- three scorers in Williams, who I mentioned before, you're able to throw in there Keeson Willis and also Jordan Crawford. They're all shooting at least 40% from three, and with Willis and Crawford, they're combining for about 25.5 points per contest. Crawford is your main facilitator for this team. They're lacking something down low. They're going to need to be able to have someone like Javon Magnum be able to step up, give this team a few rebounds. You've been able to have David Green give you a few boards after he last season was able to give you seven points, right around three and a half boards, but at six foot seven, a little bit undersized for Louisiana. They should have that size advantage down low. Terrence Lewis, the second, was at Jackson State last season. He has looked very solid. 29 rebounds in the first three games of the season. And Jordan Brown, the reason why I do think that Louisiana wins this game outright is because of him. He's a six foot 11 former McDonald's All American that last season shot 44% from three with 15 and a half points, eight and a half boards, and a block per contest. But Louisiana has some issues in the backcourt. They've been without Kobe Julian a little bit as well, so that does affect this backcourt. When it comes to Louisiana, they're going to be a team that I think is going to be tapering off in terms of their three-point shooting. Currently shooting 43% from distance. That is not going to lie. So I do like what Kentrell Garnett is able to do. Last season, he did shoot 47% from three. I think that there's still going to be a little bit of cool off there. That said, he's a good spot-up shooter. Joe Charles has been able to give you a little bit of something down low. Five rebounds per game at six foot seven. I like the backcourt of Louisiana Tech a little bit better, but I do think that having the best player out there on the floor in Jordan Brown is going to be able to win it outright for Louisiana, but with Louisiana as well, they really don't have a tremendous facilitator in Thomas Folks. I think that he's going to turn the ball over a little bit too much in this game, so I like getting the points with Louisiana Tech in what I believe to be a nip-and-tuck game. Louisiana's a little bit more of an up-tempo team. Louisiana Tech, they hang their hat on defense just a little bit more, so it's a circumstance where I set my toe on 142 looking under if Louisiana could only make them a two-point favorite, so looking to take two and a half or more with Louisiana Tech. We go 733-734 on the betting board. Texas State, they're on the road facing off against UT San Antonio. The Roadrunners, Meep Meep, are between a 3.5 and a 4-point underdog in your total on this game. It is 136.5 with Texas State. Set them as a 7.5-point favorite. I like what I saw from them on the road against Rhode Island, being able to get that win outright in when it comes to this Roadrunners team. They just have not been the same backcourt ever since. They lost the guys like Keaton Wallace and company that were able to make them so successful a few seasons ago for UT San Antonio. They're really reliant upon Jacob Germany, their big man who 
He's solid. He was able to give the team 7-plus rebounds per game last season. He's been able to give them 13 points per game this season, but they just don't have a guard that is really going to be able to keep up with Mason Harrell. Harrell is just five foot nine, buck 45, but this kid has a lot of heart. He was able to average last season right around 12 points per contest, shot 40% from three. He, this season, has had to do a little bit more in terms of getting his nose dirty, get some rebounds, and he has stepped up to the cha- challenge. You don't necessarily have a ton down low for this Texas State team, so Josh Farmer has a little bit of advantage for UT San Antonio, but in terms of backcourt, UT San Antonio completely brought there and got some like a Dylan Dawson, who I do like in the backcourt for this Texas State team. Shot 43% from three-point range for them last season. Brandon Davis is someone that has really been able to come in as a non-D1 transfer and has been able to pump in their 10.5 points per contest. Texas State always does a great job of looking at some of those non-D1 guys to be able to come in. For, and for UT San Antonio, the question becomes, who's really going to be able to take over this offense and be able to give you some facilitation Jafet Meter as a non-D1 transfer. He's been able to come in and give you four assists per contest, but also 3.7 turnovers per game. It's a UT San Antonio team that is very sloppy with the ball. Texas State is not necessarily a heat-seeking missile when it comes to being able to get steals, but at the same time, they do an okay job of being able to generate some swipes. I think that that is going to be just enough to be able to get some distance from this UT San Antonio team. UT San Antonio not looking to play as up-tempo as they have in past seasons just because they are completely breadth of talent in the backcourt. UT San Antonio over the last few seasons has been a good cover team at home. I think that that comes to an end with just no backcourt whatsoever. Set Texas State as a 7.5 point favorite one to late here. So I might tell half. I think that Texas State gets their very slow, grimy style. So looking at the under, and I am taking a look at Texas State laying the points. 735, 736 on the bang board. Southern Illinois is going to be playing out to Tennessee State. Tennessee State is an underdog of 14 points, and your total on this game it is 136, and with Southern Illinois, you set them as a 10-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to take these points, Now I do like what Marcus Tomask is able to do. He, for Southern Illinois last season, had right around 15 points, just under 5 assists, 5 rebounds per contest. He's able to give you a block. Very good, versatile player. That said, you need a little bit more down low for the Southern Illinois team, and for Tennessee State, they've done a nice job in terms of being able to keep a few of their guys in the fold. Marcus Fitzgerald is someone that was able to give the team double figures last season, so he's going to be able to do a solid job. Zion Griffin is someone that, while he was at UIC last season, was able to put in their 10 points per contest. Not a great three-point shooter, but a mid-30 three-point shooter. That is certainly going to be able to fly. Now, when it comes to the Southern Illinois team, they have by far the best backcourt out there, as they've got someone in Lance Jones, who last season gave the team right around 14.5 points per contest, picking up right where he left off. Last season, Xavier Johnson comes in from George Mason after he last season at George Mason, gave up 4.5 assists, 8 points per contest, 35% 3 point shooter. Just have my question marks down low with this team because I do think that they need a little bit more out of some like uh, Troy D'Amico. That is really what is holding back the Southern Illinois team. You know that Southern Illinois is going to be playing super duper slow, but I do still think that Junior Clay, the transfer from Tennessee Tech, he's going to be able to get his first 3 games of the season. Has been averaging 21.5 points per contest two seasons ago at Tennessee Tech. Was able to pop in there 17.5 points, 3.5 assists. So I do like his overall game. I think that this is going to be a game of backcourts and with neither team necessarily being able to do a great job on the glass that allowed Tennessee State to hold in a game of which I do think that there's going to be quite a few second and third chances just as a result of both teams being a little bit shall we say not so great on the glass so as a result I did set my total very low here at a 134 I do think
think that there's going to be second chance opportunities, but I think it's going to take a little bit to set those up. Southern Illinois does a great job of being able to get their style. So taking a look at the under, and we'll end up taking the double figures I'm getting with Tennessee State. We go 737, 738 on the betting board. Louisiana Monroe, they're going to be on the road facing off against CCU. TCU is a favorite of 18 to 18 and a half points to the on this game. Same between 139 and a half and 140. With TCU, I can only make them a 15 point favorite. So I'm going to be looking to take the points. Right now, Mike Miles is dealing with a little bit of an injury. He may or may not go in this game. And if he does go, he's probably going to be less than 100%. Damian Ba is not going to go in this game. He is suspended. So that is less than terrific. And for Louisiana Monroe, they brought in a few guys via the transfer portal that they like. Tariq LaCour is someone that, while he was at UAB last season, was a little bit banged up. Two seasons ago at South Alabama, 13 points, five boards three assists, right around about a 33 to 34% three-point shooter. I like his overall game. You've got the guy with the last name I will never be able to pronounce, Nika Mitchell Barlishi. He comes in from the country of Georgia last season. The guy with a very long last name, but we're just going to call him Nika. 10 points. Was able to shoot about 35.5% from three. He's a 6'8 combo player. He's been able to give them 12 points per contest thus far this season. A little bit of a liability down low, but someone like a Victor Bafudo, who comes in from Mercer. He's been able to shore things up a little bit more down low. And then for TCU, they should be able to win that battle on the glass. Eddie Lampkin Jr. is able to give you 7 plus rebounds per game. Emmanuel Miller last season, he was able to pump in their 10.5 points. Six rebounds per game, but TCU—they were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in all of college basketball last season. They really didn't do anything to be able to address those woes. So that is my big issue with them. I do think that TCU wins this battle on the glass. No doubt they've got better athletes, but how are they going to be able to separate by 18 plus points with having really no shooting out there? They don't have their main facilitators. Mike Miles is banged up, may or may not play in this game, and then you also have a guy in Damian Ba who is really their main facilitator from last season. It's going to be out the fold that, in my opinion, spells doomsday if you're looking for TCU to be able to cover this big of a number. As a result, I did set Louisiana Monroe as a 15-point underdog. I'm going to be willing to take the points. TCU playing really good on defense. Monroe, a little bit more of an up-tempo team. I do think that they're going to have a little bit of a tough time scoring in this one. So, as a result, I'm taking a look at the under semi-total 133.5 and taking the points with Monroe. 739-740 on the betting board. You've got Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech is going to be playing us to Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois is a underdog of between 12 and a half and 13 points, and your totals between 131 and 131 and a half. Georgia Tech, I could only set them as an 11 and a half point favorite. Georgia Tech just really doesn't have a lot down low with Rodney Howard. I remember the game that they played against Georgia State a few days ago, and he had five turnovers in the first six minutes of that game. He's just not really a skilled guy. He's been able to give the team eight rebounds per contest after last season, six and a half points, five rebounds per game. This is just not an ACC caliber roster now. When Northern Illinois, they've got their issues of their own. They lost to begin the season at Illinois Springfield. Played a little bit better against Northwestern. They have not really been able to do a great job with their offense in recent seasons. They do have one guy that's able to put the biscuit in the basket. That's Keyshawn Williams last season. He's able to give the team 16 points per contest for a team that ranked in the bottom 25 at all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Zarek Nutter is someone I like. He began his career at St. Peter's last season. Was a junior college transfer and was a top 60 junior college transfer according to JucoRecruiting.com. Not a great score, but someone that is very good on the ball. Even though he's a bit shorter at right around 6'5", six 6'6", six six, he's able to be a good rebounder as well. So, and outside of Northern Illinois team that they're a little bit bereft of size. And for Georgia Tech, you just don't know who's doling out the ball for this team. Rodney Howard is right now leading them in assists. That is not what you want. They've had Kyle Sturdivant 
be a, a little bit more of a facilitator for the team. He's not necessarily a supreme three-point shooter, average seven and a half points per contest. It's just a backcourt that is all sorts of messy. Dallin Coleman is someone that they're looking to, 12 and a half points per contest. And the one guy that I actually do like for the team is Javon Franklin. He last season at South Alabama had 12 points, eight rebounds per contest. I would feature him a little bit more if I were Georgia Tech. But that said, Georgia Tech, even though they're playing against a pretty sorry Northern Illinois team, I can't trust in them being able to cover this number. Set Georgia Tech is an 11 and a half point favorite. I think that this is going to be an ugly game for offense, but I did set it at a 134 and a half just because Northern Illinois also has not such great defense. Georgia Tech, they're not necessarily shorthanded on the glass as well, so it's a good old something's gotta give game. I am taking a look at this total over just because it's such a low number as I set mine at a 134 and a half. With Georgia Tech, going to make them an 11 and a half point favorite, so I'm going to be looking to take the points as well. We go to 741-742 on the betting board. It is Creighton, and they are going to be playing on CUC Riverside. Riverside is an underdog of 17 and a half points, and your total on this game is between 140 and 140 and a half. And with Riverside, something as a 15 and a half point underdog, I'm going to be willing to take those points. You see Riverside, always a pretty tough defensive team. They look to be playing a little bit more up-tempo this season, but I don't think that they're going to be playing with their hair on fire by any stretch of the imagination, and I do like the guard that they've got in Zion Pullian last season. He's able to give the team 14.5 points, 5.5 points, 4.5 assists per contest. It's a career about 33-34%. Three-point shooter Flynn Cameron is Mr. Do-It-All, right around 6'5", 6'6", combo player last season, while at Riverside was able to give the team 10.5 points, four boards, shot 35% from three-point range. I do like his game. Now with Creighton, they've got a lot of guys that they just stuff the statute. Ryan Kochbrenner, the seven-footer, 18 points, six half boards, a little bit over a block per contest. Arthur Kaluma does a nice job on the glass while being able to contribute double figures. And then they bring in Baylor Shireman, who had a tough really start to the season in terms of shooting, but that said, has been able to give the team nine plus rebounds in the first three games of the season after last season. South Dakota State averaged 16 points, seven half boards, four and a half assists, was able to shoot 47% from three-point range, and we've seen South Dakota State really not have as great a results without him, so you can tell that he's a little bit of an impact guy, but I think he's going to be very important for this Riverside team to be able to hold in there. Six foot eight combo player and Kyle Owens. Owens two seasons ago at Montana shot 40% for three, ten and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game. He thus far has been able to give the team double figures in each other first two games, has been getting into a little bit of foul trouble, but that said, for UC Riverside, it's a team that they really hang their head on defense, being able to do a solid job on the glass, bringing able, being able to bring in someone like a Jamar Hartwell, who began his career at George Mason, someone who doesn't necessarily flow the ball a ton, but someone that is able to give you a little bit of outside shooting and does a good job of on-ball defending. That should be able to keep the score low. Riverside really looking to play a lot of defense. And Creighton, not quite the same three-point shooting team that they've been in the past. Ryan Nemart looks to be doing a much better job with not turning the ball over. I do think that they're going to be efficient, but I think the lack of three-point shooting along with the slow tempo, that is going to be able to keep this little under set mine at a 133.5. So, looking at that total under. And when it comes to this great team. Go ahead and make them a 15 and a half point favorite. So, going to be looking to take the points with Riverside. 743-744 on the betting board. Mississippi State is going to be playing host to South Dakota. South Dakota between a 13 and a half and a 14 point underdog. Your total on this game is a 140 and with South Dakota, I did make them an underdog of 14 points. So, at 13 and a half or less, 
I'm going to be willing to lay it with Mississippi State. Been very impressed by this Mississippi State defense. They did a very solid job against Arkansas Pine Bluff a couple days ago. If you're looking for even better competition, they were supreme against Akron as well. So this bunch has really been able to do a nice job of holding it down here in the early part of the season. South Dakota just needs to get A.J. Plyswit back online after he had a rough go of it. Night number one against Wisconsin. He's been able to put in there a combined 49 points the last two contests. So he looks to be getting back to his old form after two seasons ago prior to missing last year due to injury, 19 points, four boards, four assists, was shooting over 40% from three-point range. And with South Dakota, they bring in Paul Bruns. He was the top scorer at North Dakota last season. He's been a little bit more of a role player with his team, nine and a half points, four and a half boards per contest. But what I really like is Cruz Petio Hunt. He's been doing a nice job for this team. He's been able to pump in their 14 points, two and a half assists. They lose a little bit down low with Hunter Goodrick being out of the fold, but Tazos Camateros, a six foot eight, little bit of a combo player that last season shot 37.5% from three. He's done a nice job after getting five and a half rebounds per game last season. He's up to seven boards this season, but Mississippi State certainly going to be able to win that battle down low. Tolu Smith is currently giving the team over nine boards per contest when he was healthy last season. 14 points, six and a half rebounds. It's always been all about just whether or not he's able to stay out there on the floor because he's dealt with a few ailments throughout his career. Now, Deshaun Davis has never been a great three-point shooter shot. Right around 20% from three last season at Oregon State, but he's had a tough start to the year, only averaging right around six points per contest, but DJ Jeffries has been able to do a solid job down low. You've got Will McNair Jr. He follows his coach, Chris Jange, from New Mexico State. He's been able to do a nice job being able to give the team five rebounds. Not much of a score on Mississippi State. Not going to go bombs away from three-point range. They're only shooting about 31% from distance, but they just play in your face. Really good defense. They're generating 12 steals per contest. This is a South Dakota team that they do an okay job of being able to take care of the ball as well, so I don't think that they're necessarily going to be overly stifled, but South Dakota is certainly going to lose that battle on the glass. Mississippi State, one of the best on-ball defending teams in all of college basketball. And South Dakota, they're one of the better defensive teams that you were finding in the Summit League as well. So, as a result, I did make Mississippi State a 14-point favorite. One to lay 13.5 or less with them. Also, made my total 134.5. Going to be looking at an under 745-746 on the betting board. It is Portland. They are on the road facing off against Air Force. Air Force is a home underdog. You're going to be able to get them between 5 and 5.5 five and points, and your total is anywhere between 138.5 and 139.5. And with Air Force, I set them as a 6.5-point underdog. I really like what I'm seeing out of this Portland team, even though it didn't necessarily go their way against Kent State. Kent State, I think, is a very quality mid-major, though, and... When it comes to Portland, very well-rounded group coached up by Shantae Leggins, who brought quite a few of the guys with him when he took the job from Eastern Washington last offseason. Tyler Robertson, Satchit suffered that last season, gave the team 15.5 points, 4.5 assists, 6.5 boards, shot 36% from 3 and this season right around 17 points, just under 5 rebounds, just under 5 assists. He has been good for the team. Christian Sosland, he's been able to pump in their double figures. You've also got a guy in Mike Meadows who came in from Easter Washington. He's able to give you right around 12 points. He doles out 3 assists. Moses Wood at six foot eight shoots over 40% from 3-point range in Air Force. Just not going to be able to keep up with that. Now, I do give a little bit more than 3 points due to the Air Force home field advantage at Colorado Springs. It is a little bit of elevations and it's just a tough place to get to. So I just do think that that needs to be taken into account. But this Air Force team loses their top scorer in A.J. Walker. And it's just all about Jake Hedbreder right now. Hedbreder shot last year 38% from three, 10 and a half points, three rebounds per contest. He's been able to give the team 18 points per contest thus far this season. But who else is going to be able to step up for this team? 
Ethan Taylor is able to give you a little bit of facilitation, three and a half assists per contest last season with a seal and a half per game. Not necessarily a great three-point shooter, though. Air Force has a tough time taking care of the ball. Air Force plays super-duper slow as well, so you've got a lot of issues on that front end. I really don't have a lot down low. Lucas Mormon, he's a six foot ten gentleman that has been able to give the team six rebounds per game. Last year, four points, four boards per contest, but Portland should be able to win that battle on the glass. Portland just has better athletes in general. I think that they should be able to take it to them, and Chica Induka coming in for this Portland team. That's all the better for this team as he was a part-time starter last season. I was able to give them five and a half rebounds per contest. You should be able to take it to guys like Mormon and company down low. And I do think that Portland, with all their versatility, they're going to be able to take it to an Air Force team that they're going to be playing super slow and Air Force probably going to be finding themselves creating some sloppy turnovers. Set Portland as a six and a half point road favorite. Willing to lay it. Set my total at 130 and a half. So also diving under. 747, 748 on the betting board. It is Minnesota and they're going to be playing those to Central Michigan. Central Michigan is an underdog of 11 points. Your total on this game is 138. Jamison Battle is going to be out full for Minnesota once again. So as a result, I can only set them as a nine-point favorite. And when it comes to Central Michigan, I do like some of the pieces on this team. Kevin Miller has been terrific since he entered in the program last season. Overall, in his two-plus seasons on campus, 13.5 points, four and a half assists, about a 36% three-point shooter. And that's going to be tough for Minnesota to match up with. They just don't have a Big Ten quality backcourt. They bring in Taylon Cooper, who last season in the Ohio Valley for Morehead State was solid at being able to dish out six assists per contest to only about 2.2 turnovers per game, but who else is going to be able to help them out? This team really doesn't have a lot of three-point shooting. I do like what you're able to get out of Torres Samuel. Samuel's last season, he had nine and a half points and shot about 32% from three-point range. At the Ivy League level, he's actually taken a little bit of a jump, which I do like to see, and Tasa Garcia is by far the best player out there on the floor. Garcia began his career at Marquette when he was at Marquette two seasons ago at 13.6 board shot 35.5% from three as a six foot eleven, nice combo player, but Central Michigan as someone that is able to stretch out the floor and is able to do a nice job himself in Marquise Harding. He's been able to give the team eleven points, five rebounds per contest. He's able to pop threes as a six foot ten, a little bit of a combo player. You've been able to get some nice production out of as well out of Brian Taylor. Taylor last season was able to do a nice job being able to flow the ball with right around eight and a half points, six boards. Was able to give you a little bit over a steal per contest. Does it on both sides. So I do think that Central Michigan can hold in there against a Minnesota team that until they get Jameson Battle back. They just aren't necessarily whole. As a result, I did set Minnesota as just a nine-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the double figures when it comes to Central Michigan. And with this total, very precarious one. Central Michigan likes to play a little bit faster. Minnesota looking to take the air out of the ball. Minnesota all about taking care of the ball, but they don't necessarily get the world's most efficient shot. So it's sort of a positive and a negative. Semi-total, 133.5. Dive in under and take the points with Central Michigan. Sub-49, sub-50 on the betting board. It is Utah, and Utah is going to be playing us the same use as Sammy Houston State is an underdog of 9.5 to 10 points, and your total is 129. When it comes to Utah, I set them as an 11-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it. Utah has a lot of versatility with this team. I'm starting to buy in more and more to Braden Carlson being that go-to just takeover guy. He at Utah is just so good as a seven-footer that is able to sub the statue thus far this season. 19.5 points, 8.3 boards, shooting 33% from three-point range with nine blocks in his first three games of the season. And Sam Houston State give them a whole bunch of credit. They went on the road. They knocked off Oklahoma by kind of 52-51, to 51, but this team was also dead last in the country in free-throw shooting percentage in their first three games. They're picking up right where they left off, shooting 50% at the 
free throw line. Now, I do like what you're able to get out of Qua Grant in the backcourt. He, a few seasons ago, was a D2 All-American, putting it in there over 20 points per contest. He was able to shoot 40% from three, able to put in there quite a few rebounds. So that is something that you do like to see. They've got Tristan Izikpe, who last season was able to give the team right around five rebounds per game. And then Kawazi Iziugu, he comes in from Kansas State after at Kansas State last season. Support time surgery, was able to give the team right around three rebounds per contest. So do you like the 6'10 big man as well? But when it comes to Utah, you've also got a guy in Raleigh Worcester who's got an assisted turnover ratio of three. You've also got someone in... Six foot six combo player Gabe Madsen, who has come out of the gate smoking. Last season shot 39% from three with six and a half points per contest. He has upped his game as he's been able to flash in there eight plus points in each out of the first three games of the season. So done a great job on that front. You're able to get a little bit of something occasionally as well. Out of someone like a Luke Tarlock, missed the first few games of the season, was able to see action in that Idaho State game. So that gives the team all the more depth. Same used to say they've been playing quite a few guys interchangeably. Someone like Kean Scroggins is able to come in off the bench. And same used they're able to do a good job on defense. They're a very slow team. And Utah is never a team that really looks to push the tempo either. I think we've run a little bit too low because I do think that this could turn into a game of which it's reliant upon late game following with it being like an eight-point game in the final minute, and who do you trust at the foul line? Sam Houston State, or do you trust in Utah? I trust in Utah, personally, so I did make my total in the spot of 130. I'm going to be willing to go over, and with Utah, one away up to 10.5 with them, so laying the points with Utah. 751-752 on the bang board. Arizona is going to be playing us at Utah Tech. Utah Tech is an underdog of 26 to 27 points. Totals any between 159.5 and 160. And when it comes to Utah Tech, set them as a 27.5 point underdog. Not willing to lay anything more than 27, but I'm going to be willing to lay the 27 with Arizona. I really like what I'm seeing with this bunch. I think that they have a chance to really wreck some things in terms of the national picture of this season because you just take a look at the backcourt. They are still going to be without Courtney Ramey in this game, but you have Kirk Riso, who's been really good with the ball first few games of the season. 19 assists to 4 turnovers. He's been looking very solid in terms of 3-point shooting. Has been able to pull in there some rebounds. Much maligned due to what we saw in the NCAA tournament last season. He just should have been protected from himself in that spot, but under the radar. Adama Ball actually saw some time in the Pac-12 tournament while Creasa was down with an injury. He's been able to give the team 23 points in the first two games of the season. Azula Sabels, he has looked amazing. He and Omar Ballo, these two guys have been able to combine for 16 rebounds thus far. You've got an Arizona team that's playing incredibly up tempo shooting 63% from the field and for Utah Tech they're giving up all sorts of points it's a Utah Tech team that they gave up 84 night number one to Nevada Nevada team that couldn't break 70 against Grand Canyon so that's a little bit of an issue Cameron Gooden he's been able to give the team 14 points per contest thus far and you've got one good rebounder in Tanner Christensen Christensen last season while he was at Idaho was able to register eight and a half points six half rebounds per game so Able to do a solid job there. Pass that, you really don't have a lot with this Utah Tech team. They don't have a lot of three-point shooting. They lose their top scorer in Hunter Schofield, so you need someone like a Frank Staney to be able to take over. He hasn't been able to do so. Isaiah Pope is someone I do think has a little bit of an upside. Part-time starter last season, but only shot about 28% from three. Not a guy that really dishes out the ball hook a lot. Arizona, which is all their versatile guys, having someone like a Cedric Henderson Jr. coming in from Campbell. That makes them just all the more dangerous. Kyle Boswell has come in. He's been able to give this backcourt a little bit of a boost as well. Arizona is just so deep. They play at a frenetic style. And Utah Tech is a team that plays very up-tempo, and I think that in this one, it could put them in a big, giant hole. So, as a result, I say Utah Tech as a 27.5-point underdog. I'm 
and away with Arizona. Made my total quite high at a 165.5. So also taking a look at this high total over 753, 754 on the betting board. St. Thomas is going to be on the road facing off against Montana. Montana is a four to four and a half point favorite. Total on this game is 140 to 140.5. And, and I set Montana as a three and a half point favorite. It is tough to go into Missoula, Montana and get a W. But that said, I really like what I'm seeing out of the St. Thomas team. St. Thomas was not playing a lick of defense last season, but they were incredibly efficient on offense. This season, defense has been able to take a little bit of a stride forward, and they still have quite a bit of scoring. I like what you're able to get out of someone like an Andrew Road. Road last season was not at a thought whatsoever, as he's the probably best freshman that they've ever gotten in. He was able to give the team 48 points in the first three games of the season. Your main guy from last season, Riley Miller, he's back, and he's putting up similar numbers last season. Last season, 59 points per contest, shot 41% from three. You know, it's Road to be able to take the burden off of him. 13.7 points per contest. Now, down low, this team isn't terrific, but Parker Jorkland, he's been able to combine with Will Ingles, and these two guys are combining for about 12 rebounds per contest. St. Thomas shooting over 42% from three as a collective. They're turning the ball over a little bit more, but Honestly, that's not the worst thing because they're taking a little bit of higher risk, but they're able to get better shots as a result. Meanwhile, for Montana, they are going to have the advantage with size. They've got a 6'9 combo player and Deshaun Thomas comes in from Colorado State. Last year, Colorado State, 5.5 points, shot 41% from three. This year, 15.5 points, six boards in a bigger role. But for Montana, you can tell that they're missing Cameron Parker. He was the main facilitator for the team, and right now, it is resting on the shoulders of Brandon Whitney to be able to take over that load. He averaged two assists with 11 points per contest last season. This year, three assists per game, but three and a half turnovers per contest as well. Montana having a much tougher time of taking care of the ball than they have in the past. Now, Josh Bannon is someone that stands right around six foot eight. He's been able to do a nice job for this team, averaging 15 and a half points, six boards, relatively what he did last season. Last season, a little bit better on the glass, but also shot 35 and a half percent from three last season. He's been a bit improved this season. That said, I do think that St. Thomas, they're probably going to be done in a little bit on the glass. That said, it is a St. Thomas team that they do a good job of taking care of the ball. They are much improved on defense, and they are a very slow-tempo team. Montana, they have never looked to push the tempo either, so this is a circumstance where I set my total at 131, looking under, with Montana made them a three-and-a-half point favorite, so at four or more, taking the points with the Tommy. 755-756 on the betting board. It is San Jose State. They play Osa Hofstra. Hofstra is a two to two and a half point favorite. Total on this game, you're getting it anywhere between 142 and a half and 143. And when it comes to the pride of Hofstra, something as a three and a half point favorite. I've liked what I've seen out of San Jose State. But with San Jose State, you've got not necessarily the world's greatest amount of depth. And on top of that, with Hofstra, you've got Aaron Estrada, who's going to be the best player out there on the floor. And honestly, both of these teams do have one very dominant guy. We're going to be going with Aaron Estrada first because he last season was able to put up there right around 15 points, five boards, five says was a solid three-point shooter and a guy that shot over 90% in the free throw line. He's going to be a matchup against Omari Moore. And Moore, he led the team in points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks last season. He thus far this season, 15 points, six half boards, just under three assists, a block. He last year shot 43% from three. That's a little bit down this season, but I think that he's going to be able to pick that up. The big key for Hofstra, being able to just play even up down low because Darlin Stone Dunbar is having to take over the mantle. He's a six foot eight combo player that last season for the team shot right around 34% from three, 11 and a half points, four and a half rebounds per game, but he's had to take a little bit of a setback from being from the outside and he's had to play down low a little bit more with eight and a half rebounds per game. Sage Tolbert for San Jose State, who comes up from Temple. He's been able to give the team nine rebounds per contest. You've been able to get Tibet Groner going a little bit for San Jose State as well. He's a combo player that put in there some points, three boards, shooting a ball from three-point range, and then you've got 
down low, someone in Abrima Diallo, not necessarily a great scorer for the scene, but someone that's able to do a relatively solid job down low, but he's been a little bit more of an afterthought this season, so something to take note of there, and for Hofstra, I do like what they brought in via the transfer portal in Tyler Thomas. He was at Sacred Heart last season, and this season he's picking up right where he left off. Last season, 16.5 points per contest, 16.3 points per game. This season, he's shooting it very well from three-point range, career about 34, 35% three-point shooter. You've got a Hofstra team that they're not necessarily overly deep, but they do have a bunch of guys in the backcourt, and I do think that they're going to be able to get a little bit more out of Nelsi Boyashi Idiom, who comes in from Davidson to be able to help out a little bit down low. Aaron Estrada, I think, is going to be able to win the battle with Armari more. As a result, I did set Hofstra as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Hofstra also one of the best free-throw shooting teams in all of college basketball as well. That could be very significant towards the back half of this game, so I'm willing to lay the points with Hofstra. Something total 143.5. Hofstra, a team that plays very up-tempo, a team that is very efficient on offense, so I'm going to be taking a look at this total over as well. 757, 758 on the main board. Utah State, they're on the road of their facing off against San Diego. San Diego is an underdog of six points, and your total on this game is between 141 and a half and 142 with Utah State. I've been impressed by them. I know that Eli was talking about them a little bit earlier. Could only set Utah State as a three-point favorite because I do think that with San Diego, it is going to be a little bit of a tough matchup. You bring in those two guys from the Pac-12 and Eric Williams Jr., coupled with Jaden Delaire. Both of these guys were double-figure scorers either last year or two seasons ago. Delaire is able to give you six-plus rebounds per contest. So that, I think, is going to be tough for Utah State to be a matchup with. Now, in terms of Utah State, they are a team that is really rapidly going up my power rankings because he was talking about the backcourt with Steven Ashworth, and I agree. This guy has been amazing shooting. 39% for three last season, over 50% this season, 18.5 points, five assists, and 1.7 turnovers per contest. Um, I do like what he's bringing to the table for this team, and they've got the funk at Taylor Funk, who last season at St. Joe's, and this guy has been playing college basketball literally for forever, but last season, 13 points, shot 37.5% from three-point range. He has always been right around about a five to six rebound per game guy. He has been able to pull in 33 rebounds in the first three games of the season. This style really fits what he's looking to do, but Jace Townsend, I think he's going to be able to keep San Diego at bay. Last season, 11.5 points, only about two assists, but shot 37% from three this season. He's been doing a little bit more facilitating. He still has been rock solid from three-point range. Siko, Sishu, Jawara combined 39 points. First two games of the season, San Diego's a collective. They're shooting 42.5% from three-point range. Marcellus Erlington is a statue sufferer at 6'6". Six six. He's able to give you seven boards, double-figure amount of points. I think that San Diego matches up well with Utah State. Utah State in the end, I think that they've got a little bit more down low. That is going to allow them to be able to win this game outright, but I'm going to be one to take six with San Diego. I set this as a three-point line, so I want to take the points Somebody told a 139. You've got a pair of teams that they shoot it well from three-point range. You've got a pair of teams that I think are going to be pretty solid on defense. Either of these teams really play with their hair on fire either. So looking at the under to go along with the points with San Diego. 759, 760 on the betting board. It is Washington playing against Cal Baptist. Cal Baptist is a 9.5 point underdog. Total on this game. And we're between 131 and 132. And this is going to be my DK Nation write-up. I am taking a look at this total over with Washington. This is a team that over the last few seasons has been playing at one of the faster paces in all of college basketball and I do think that they're going to be able to do a solid job of being able to give themselves second chances at Cal Baptist. Never a team that has been shy of running it and gunning it as well. You also have for Cal Baptist a guy in Joe Kitano who missed the first game of the season and he is going to be an X factor for the team moving forward. 27 points in his first two games played of the season after last season at Loyola Marymount averaged 13 points, shooting 43% from three-point range as one of the most underrated shall we say uh, just spot-up shooters in all of college basketball with Washington. They do bring in Keon Brooks. He was able to give the team 20 points 
and seven rebounds in his first game of the season. Has been missing the last two games, and that has me docking Washington because even if he plays, he's unlikely to be fully 100%, and he's a relatively good defender. You do have down low Frank Kepinog, who has been able to do a nice job for Washington since coming over from Oregon. He's been able to get the team eight points and 7.7 rebounds per game. Washington has also been able to shoot it a little bit over 40% from three-point range. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of a decline there. I also don't think that they're going to be averaging 7.7 blocks per contest like they have to begin the season. Now, Cal Baptist, I think that they're going to be able to hold their own down low. Hunter Goodrick last season while he was at South Dakota. He's able to give the team 7.5 points, 7.2 rebounds per contest. Reed Nottage is looking to get back to what he was two seasons ago where he shot 42.5% for three, 14 points per contest thus far this season. Just eight points per game, but that was back to shooting about 37% from three after that slid to more around 30% a season ago. These are a pair of teams that are averaging fewer than 11 turnovers per game, so they're relatively efficient with it. You got a Cal Baptist team that they really don't look to generate a bunch of seals, but someone like the Blondo Chiquinho is able to do a very solid job of being able to pop a few threes. He's able to give you a few assists, and then you've got a guy that could go off our triple-double on any given night. Taron Armstrong, he is averaging 12.7 points, 5.7 rebounds, 4.7 assists per game, and shooting over 50% from three-point range. Cal Baptist, I think, is going to be able to see a rise in their shooting. I think that Washington, they're going to be looking to play a little bit more up-tempo moving forward as well. My DK Nation pick is on the over. I set my total at a 144, so we're looking there with Washington. Could only set them as an eight-point favorite, especially with having key question marks around Keon Brooks, so going to be looking to take the points, and with the DK Nation right up looking at this total over. We go 761-762 on the betting board. Now we get into the multi-team events as it is Furman and Penn State who are going to be battling in the Charleston Classic. Across the board, we are seeing Penn State as a two-point favorite and the total on this game, it is 139.5. With Penn State, I set them as a 4.5-point favorite. A little bit of a tricky spot because you do have a Penn State team that is going to be a little bit vulnerable down low and a Furman team that they're pretty much playing within the state. They are out there in the Carolinas, so they've got a little bit of home court advantage, but I do like the way that this Penn State backcourt is performing right now. You had Jalen Pickett put up a triple-double in the game against Butler. 15 points, 11 assists, 10 rebounds. This guy's really been able to come along. He's shooting 38.5% from three-point range. He's able to give you a little bit over a seal per contest, so he does it on the defensive end as well. And they brought in a pair of guys from within the state of Pennsylvania that have been very good transfers to Cameron Winter and Andrew Funk. Funk comes in from Bucknell, Cameron Winter from Drexel. These two guys are averaging a combined about 24.5 points per contest. They're both shooting over 40% from three now. Is there going to be regression with Penn State shooting 47.8% from three-point range? Absolutely, but that said, with Penn State, I also do think that they're going to be able to do an okay job down low. I'm not saying that they're going to win the battle with someone like Akiba NG, but that said, Furman, it's not like they've got necessarily supreme size. The guy that they look to down low is Jalen Slauson, who he can go off for a triple-double on any given night. Last season, averaged 14.5.7 at boards, 3.5 assists, 1.7 blocks, 1.7 seals per contest, and is able to shoot about 33% from three, but what I think you need to look out for for Furman is a guy in Mike Bothwell that has been able to give the team 41 points in the first two games of the season. Last season shot 36% from three, 15.5 points, four boards, three assists. Like his overall game, the team is a little bit more deep because Carter Witt, someone who saw some starts two seasons ago in the backcourt of Wake Forest, is in there. He's been doing a nice job facilitating the offense. Furman is generating a few more steals than in past years, but they have been turning the ball over a little bit as well. 30 turnovers in the first two games of the season. Penn State, they've got some guys with some active hands, so I do think that Penn State in the battle of backcourts, they're going to be able to win this one. Penn State, a team that looks to play slowly, more methodically, Furman, 
They're a team that they look to play a little bit more up-tempo. They're a team that they've got an explosive offense with it being a very early tip time. Typically, that lends itself a little bit better to defense, but I do think that this turns into a game in which there's a lot of late game falling. Whichever way it goes, there is going to be a very, very tight battle in this one because I do think that whoever is leading, they're probably going to be up like four or five points with a minute left to go. That turns into the foul game. So I did set this total at a 140.5. I'm looking over. I'm with Penn State. Made them a four and a half point favorite, so willing to take them. We go 763-764 on the betting board. Virginia Tech is going to be playing against Old Dominion in Charleston as Virginia Tech is a favorite of 14 to 14 and a half points in the total on this game. It is between 133 and 133 and a half with Virginia Tech. I do think that they're honestly probably the best team in the field. That said, I could only set them as a 12-point favorite Old Dominion. They're not too far away from their campus, so that's going to give them a little bit of a boost. Virginia Tech really isn't either, so there is that aspect of it. But I look at Penn Stanley being a little bit of an X factor in this one. When he was fully healthy during the 2019-20 season at Hampton, he averaged 22 points, 7 boards, block and half per contest, shot 33% from 3, has been banged up the last two seasons, but he's picking up right where he left off as he's been able to give the team a combined about 52 points in the first three games of the season for Virginia Tech. You've got a pair of guys that are able to shoot it well from three-point range. Sean Padula along Dante Maddox, both guys shot over 45% from three-point range last season. Padula has really been able to pick it up in terms of facilitation four and a half assists per contest and then you've got the Swiss Army Knife and Justin Mutz. He's played two games thus far, averaging 9.7 boards, five and a half assists. After last season, he was able to give the team 10.7 boards, three and a half assists. I mean, he's just so hard to guard. That is really going to take it out of Old Dominion. But Mackay Wong has been able to do a nice job at six foot seven, giving the team some boards at seven rebounds per game last season, pulling in there more like nine this season. Old Dominion doesn't quite have the depth that Virginia Tech does, but I've got someone that I like in Chauncey Jenkins that comes in for Wichita State. was an afterthought there last season, but he's come in. He's done a nice job for an Old Dominion team that they take care of the ball. They aren't a good shooting team. They're shooting below 28% from three-point range thus far this season. That said, I do think that Old Dominion, they're going to do a good job in a game that I think is going to be throttled down. Virginia Tech, one of the slowest teams at all of college basketball, an efficient team, but playing out there in a neutral court, that should cause things to be a little bit more herky-jerky. So, that said, I set my total at a 130. Old Dominion, always a team that likes to play a slow style as well, so I'm diving under him with Virginia Tech. Made them a 12-point favorite, so wanted to take double digits here with Old Dominion. 765-766 on the betting board. It is Colorado State. They're going to be on the road facing off against South Carolina, as South Carolina and Colorado State is a pick'em game. Total on this game is 137, and with South Carolina, I did make them the one-point favorite, so on a pick'em line, I am willing to ride with South Carolina. This just comes down to the fact that the game is in South Carolina, so I give them a little bit of a boost. I'm sure that you can understand that one, and with South Carolina, they are going to have the best player on on the floor, in my opinion, and that would be Gigi Jackson. He was the number one recruit for the class of 2023 before he reclassified. And for Colorado State, you do want to note that John Tone Jay has some big-time home and road splits. Last season, he shot 43% from three-part range at home. On the road, 28.5% from three. He put up a relatively similar amount of 9 to 10 points per game, but that really went down. The Colorado State Rams have been looking to Jalen Lake to be able to dole things out. As I say, as Stevens has been out with injury, and so far, so good for him. Nine points, four and a half boards, four and a half assists, but Colorado State has an SA face-off against the world's stiffest of competition with Colorado State. Patrick Cartier who is very good at the Division II level. He's come up. He's been able to give the team 12 points per contest, so that is something that you do like to see, and now they've got Josiah Strong back in the fold. Missed the first two games of the season, and only State, 11 and a half points per contest, shot 41% from three-point range, so you're able to rely upon that, but Chico Carter is someone that's able to shoot over 
40% from three-point range for this South Dakota State team. Hunter Brown, I think, is going to have problems when he takes a step up in competition, but he's been able to put up 30 points first two games of the season. He was at the Citadel last season where, as a little bit of an undersized five guy, 19 points, 9.5 boards, so he was able to put up good production there, and then when it comes to Benjamin Bozeman's Verdonk, missed the first game of the season. He should be able to help out a little bit down low as well. I think South Carolina wins the battle on the glass, and that'll allow them to be able to win a game that I think it's going to be a little bit more up-tempo. South Carolina has not been afraid to push pace. Colorado State, they're a little bit more of a slow team, but this could be a game that is like one of your classic games that goes to overtime. I certainly see this being close, involving a lot of fouling late. Semi-total 139. This is a TD arena that is not too bad for scoring as well, so I'm going to be willing to take this total over. I'm with South Carolina. Made them a slim one-point favorite, so I'm willing to ride with them on the pick line. 767, 768 on the bang board. College of Charleston is going to be playing us at Davidson. Davidson is a one-point underdog, and your total on this game is anywhere between 158.5 and 159. Set Charleston as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the one point. Willing to go up to one and a half as well. When it comes to Charleston, they just come at you with waves upon waves of guys. They very nearly blew that game that they wrote up for DK Nation a couple days ago, but that said, they were still able to get the job done. And with Charleston, it's just a team in which a hole is greater than some of its parts with Rennie Smith really being the star guy for this team. Averaging 18 and a half points per contest last season, he shot 37.5% for three with 12 points per game. So I do like what he's able to bring to the table. You don't necessarily have that one guy that's going to give you a ton of rebounds, but this team last season was in the top five in terms of percentage of their missed shots that turned into an offensive rebound, and I fully expect them to do that this season. Not a great team in terms of three-point shooting outside of Renee Smith, but that said, you do have someone I like in Dalton Bolin, who's been able to give you 13 points. Not shooting it well from three this season, but last year shot right around 36% from three-point range. And for Davidson, they've got the best scorer out there. Foster Lawyer is averaging 28 points per contest. I think that'll regress a little bit last season. And for like 16 points per contest, shot 44% from three, but he is that guy. And then you just take a look at the rest of these guys. And you've got David Skogman, who's able to give you five rebounds per game. Sam Mamenga, he's been able to give you 12 points, eight boards. At six foot 11, he's able to pop some threes. Davidson overall shooting 37.5% from three. Issue that I have with Davidson, they're shooting 68% at the free throw line. This is a Davidson team that they shoot it well from three. They don't shoot it well at the charity stripe. That could nip them in the tuckus in this game as you're probably going to be seeing another very close game. I think that these two teams are relatively evenly matched with this game being played in Charleston. It's technically a home game for Charleston in this case, so that does put Davidson at a little bit of a disadvantage. I think that College of Charleston, with them just going at you with waves, they have played at least nine guys for at least 15 minutes in every one of their games this season that is going to take its toll on this Davidson team. As a result, I did set Charleston as a two-point favorite. I'm willing to take them as a favorite. Davidson is not a team that necessarily plays up-tempo. you got a Charleston bunch that they're looking to run it and gun it, so it's a circumstance in which I did set my total 154. I'm willing to go under with Charleston, set them as a two-point favorite. Now we go to the Myrtle Beach Invitational. This is 769-770 on the bang board. UMass and Colorado do battle in South Carolina with Colorado find themselves as a six-and-a-half-point uh, six favorite. Trollon's game is 148. This is the early game. I do think that the defenses are going to be a little bit sleepy along with the offenses as well, so it's always tough to be able to gauge that, but with that said, I did set my total at a 145.5. I'm going to be taking a look at this total under, and when it comes to Colorado, I did make them a favorite of five points. I'm going to be looking to take the points with UMass. UMass, a team that they've got a lot of depth, but it's all going to be about trying to be able to meld these pieces together. I do like what they're able to get in the backcourt. You're able to get quite a few assists out of someone 
like a Noah Fernandes, who last season was able to give the team 15 points, 5 assists, 5 boards, was able to shoot it well from 3-point range. They bring in Brandon Martin, who obviously you can tell the connection with them as he is coming over for, with Frank Martin over from South Carolina. as He's been able to, in the first few games of the season, be able to give the team 14 rebounds in those now for Colorado. What I do like for the team is what you've been able to get out of KJ Simpson. Simpson, 17.5 points, 5.5 boards, 3.3 assists, shooting right around 35.5% from 3-point range. He was rock solid in that game against Tennessee with 23 points, 10 boards, so it is very important that he continues on that trajectory. And then also for Colorado, they've been able to get a little bit more down low than I was expecting as been able to get 8.7 rebounds per game out of Giovanni Hadley. He's a little bit of a six foot six junior that has really been an afterthought at the D1 level. He was at the non-D1 level last season and has been able to do a very solid job for this team. You've also got Tristan De Silva. Six foot nine combo player that doesn't do a great job on the glass, but last season shot right around 37.5% from three-point range, shipping in their 9 to 10 points per contest with UMass. I think it's going to be tough for them to be able to match up with that overall size. You've just got a lot of parts that I feel like they need to be refined a little bit, but they've got the talent to be able to win this game outright. Someone like Rasul Diggins, he's a former top 100 recruit. You've got Isaac Conte, who a few seasons ago was over at Hofstra, was a double-double guy. And TJ Weeks is someone that I still remember as a freshman shot, right around 48.5% from three three-point range last year and nine and a half points per contest, 37% three-point shooter. We've seen the best of it with Colorado. We've seen the worst of it with Colorado. I think Colorado gets the job done. I just don't want to lay six with them in this spot. This actually started out with them being a seven-point favorite. I think the line has moved appropriately. Except Colorado personally is a five-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points with UMass. Semi-total 145 and a half as well. UMass looking to play a little bit more up-tempo. Colorado, neither a fast nor a slow team. So looking at the under to go along with points with UMass. Seven 771-772 on the betting board. It is Texas A&M. They're going to be playing against Murray State out in Conway, South Carolina as Texas A&M is a 10.5 to an 11 point favorite and your total on this game is anywhere between 139 and 137.5 and with Texas A&M, I did set them as a favorite of 8.5 points so I'm going to be willing to take the points with Murray State. Murray State, a bunch that is very much new look but it's sort of an old look because they bring back Steve Prom. Prom. As we know, he had a lot of success with the program a few seasons ago, and I do think that he's done a solid job of being able to build this program on the fly. They lost a little bit when they lost their coach last offseason, and when it comes to this Murray State team, I think what is going to be very important for them is just finding a little bit in terms of three-point shooting, as it's a team that is in very much transition right now. They're going to be going up against the Texas A&M team, in which the hole is greater than the sum of its parts. you got guys like Henry Coleman, Therese Radford, who they were all able to average right around five to six rebounds per game last season, though. You don't necessarily have that one go-to guy for the team. Last year, that was Quentin Jackson who was able to give them 13.5 points per contest, and that is a little bit of a liability for Texas A&M. Thus far, Wade Taylor the fourth, 39 points first two games of the season. Want to see a little bit more from him before I anoint him. That go-to guy, Dexter Dennis, he is very solid coming in from Wichita State. He's always been a good defensive-minded guy. Right around 8.5 points was only about a 30% three-point shooter, but that said, he's able to give you five rebounds just in terms of his on-ball defending. He has one of the better players that you're going to find in all of college basketball, and with Texas A&M, that really is their style. They're looking to play the, shall we say, 40 minutes of H-E double hockey stick style. Julian Marble is someone that comes in from Michigan State. I think that he's going to be able to do a solid job, but Rob Perry for Murray State, I like his upside. Two seasons ago, I was at Stetson for a full season, 14.5 points, 3 assists, shot 36.5% from 3-point range. DJ Burns is one of the main holdovers from last season who has been able to 
be a consistent rebounder at the college basketball level last season. Six points, six half boards. So I do like his overall game. And then you've got Jacoby Wood. He, two seasons ago, right, at Belmont, had 11 half points per game. He was able to dole out a little bit over two assists per contest. Last season saw a little bit of a fall off. They're turning him into a little bit more of a point guard. And I do think that that is going to be a good role for him. As a result, I did make Texas A&M just an eight and a half point favorite. Have a little bit of question mark in terms of their three point shooting. I do think that Texas A&M going to do a great job on defense against Murray State. Backcourt that is a little bit in transition. So set my total at a 133. I'm going to be looking at the under with Texas A&M. Could only make them an eight and a half point favorite. So take the points with Murray State. 773, 774 on the betting board. It is Charlotte and they are going to be playing against Boise State out there in South Carolina. Boise State, a five and a half point favorite total on this game is 135. With Boise State, I did make them a favorite of two and a half points, so I'm going to be willing to take them with Charlotte. Charlotte going to probably have a few more of their faithful in the crowd with Boise having to travel all the way from Idaho, but with Charlotte, it's also a team that I'm a little bit impressed by their versatility. Someone like Robert Braswell, who stands six foot eight, he is very good from three-point range, has been able to bury throughout his career right around 40% from distance while he's been at Charlotte. Charlotte does lose Jameer Young from last season, but the way that you've had a few guys, in particular Jackson Thirdgill, be able to pick it up is good. Threadgill last season, right around six points per contest, shot in the mid-30s from three-point range this season, 15 points, right around two and a half assists per contest, and you've got a six foot eleven. A little bit of a point center in Ali Khalifa. Last season, shot 35% for three, seven and a half points, four boards, three and a half assists. He's been able to give out 11 assists in the first two games of the season. He has been terrific for the team. That's very hard to guard. And Montre Gibson, top scorer from Tarleton State, comes into the fold as well. Now with Boise State, pleasant surprise has been Max Rice. Rice last season and four points per game has never necessarily been a guy to go into takeover mode. First two games of the season, 15 and 21 points against South Dakota State at Washington. Washington State. So that leaves me impressed. Tyson, Tyson Dagenhart, he last season was able to shoot 40% for three thus far. A little bit of a rough start for him and really the entire Boise State team. They're shooting 22.6% from three-point range now. That team I think is going to be shooting like 40% for three or anything like that. But something to take note of, Boise State has always been a team to hang their head on defense and they're doing that thus far. They're averaging 10 steals per contest while on offense they're averaging just 11 turnovers per game. Charlotte has been a team that has been a little bit more lax on defense, but I do think that bringing in someone like a Lucy Patterson, who he's a six foot two, little bit of a bowling ball style guard that's able to handle someone that does a good job with his on ball defending. I do think that that's going to be turning things around a little bit as well. Charlotte, not a team as necessarily looking to play fast. Boise State hangs their head on defense. I do think that as a result, you're going to have yourself a nice defensive slobber knocker in this game. Set my total at a 131.5, diving under with Boise State. I do ultimately think that they're going to be able to get the job done. Their lack of three point shooting, though, has me concerned that they're going to be able to pull away in this game. So, also taking a look at the points with Charlotte. 775, 776 on the betting board. It is Loyal Chicago, and they're going to be on the road. They're going to be facing off against Tulsa. Tulsa is an underdog of 8 points, and your total on this game, you're going to be getting it anywhere between 139 and seeing as high as a 140 and a half. I did set my total 133, Loyal Chicago. Looking to play a little bit more up-tempo than when Porter Mosier was coaching them up, but that said, I do think that in terms of Tulsa, it's going to be tough for them to hold in this game. I made them a nine-point underdog with Loyal Chicago. Not necessarily overly bullish on them because they did lose quite a few of their main cogs from a few seasons ago, including Lucas Williamson. He was part of that Final Four team, but still, you do a solid job of being able to replenish that with someone like St. Thomas, who's been able to take some strides forward. He should be able to help out in the front court. You've also got Sheldon Edwards, who was a nice double-figure scorer at Valparaiso last season. Tom Welsh is back, and 
to be able to do a nice job down low. Six foot eight, little bit of a guy that they were hoping would be able to take a leap forward two seasons ago. Average right around five points per contest. Is able to pop three, set right around 33% clip, and so far so good there. And Tulsa, they might actually have the best scoring guard out there on the floor. That'd be Sam Griffin. Griffin last season was able to pump in their 14 and a half points per contest for Tulsa. This season, 19 points per game in the first two games of the season. Problem is, who else is going to be able to step up for Tulsa as they bring in from Chicago State, Brandon Betson. Betson is that Chicago State 14 points per contest, shot in the high 30s from three-point range, but you really don't have anything down low whatsoever. They've looked to Brian Celabungu, who has been able to give the team 19 rebounds in the first two games of the season. He was really an afterthought last season. Anthony Pritchard is able to throw out the ball a little bit, has been dealing with ailments, but has been able to get out there on the floor. But Tulsa really just gutted of a lot of talent in general. I like Eric Conkle as a coach. He came in from Louisiana Tech to be able to take this job, but I think that it's an uphill battle. I do think that for Loyola Chicago, they are going to just really suck the life out of this Tulsa team, and I do think that Loyola Chicago going to do a solid job of be able to hit a few threes in this one. I think that Tulsa just going to be looking at Sam Griffin to do a little bit too much in this game. Want to lay up to 8.5 with Loyola Chicago and set my total at a 133, so I'm going to be diving under as well. 777, 778 on the betting board. It is the losers game out there in New York as it is going to be Pittsburgh. They're going to be taking on VCU. We've got no numbers up on this game. I'm recording this just as the game's one final. With that said, I said VCU is a seven-point favorite with a total of 131 and a half. So 131 or less looking at the over and 132 or higher to the under with Pittsburgh. You had John Hughley back full but only played 22 minutes in the game that we saw against Michigan. He should be able to add some thing down low for the team as he had seven rebounds per game last season. But really, you've got a backcourt that is not really performing well. Nike Samandi has had a bunch of question marks. It's a Pittsburgh team that I feel like against this VCU team, they might be having turnovers upon turnovers, and that is not going to be too terrific now. VCU, they themselves had their issues against Arizona State yesterday, so those need to be cleaned up as for VCU, they ended up going 5-21 from three-point range, so I do like the upside that you do have with this VCU team, because you do have someone in Ace Baldwin who's able to do very solid work when he is out there. It looks like he's most likely going to be out of the fold, so I had to adjust a little bit accordingly, but that said, who you do have out there is someone who had 13 points yesterday in Jaden Nunn. He's able to give you a few assists. You've got Brandon Johns, who this season has come in from Michigan, giving you 12 points per contest, mid-33 point shooter. Jameer Watkins is able to give you right around 13 or so points per game. And for Pittsburgh, other than Greg Elliott, not a lot of three-point shooting out of them. Pittsburgh looking to play at a slow place and VCU. They do a great job of being able to generate those turnovers. Got just 11 against Arizona State. I think that they're going to do a much better job against a Pittsburgh team that has a tough time holding on to the ball. So it's a circumstance in which I said my total at 131 and a half, 131 or less looking over 132 and or higher to the under and with VCU made them a some point favorite and then sub 79, 780 on the betting board. It is Michigan going up against Arizona State. I set Michigan as a nine and a half point favorite and with this total, I set it at a 135 and a half. This is an Arizona State team that they were very lucky to get by against VCU yesterday as they needed a Herculean comeback of double figures in the second half and with Arizona State, they are still going to be without one of their main guys. Is Marcus Bagley going to be out of the fold? You do have the Cambridge brothers who had 15 points yesterday, but the guy that you want to be keeping on is Desmond Cambridge. He last season at Nevada was able to give you 16 points, five boards. He was able to shoot about 37% from three-point range. Desmond, a little bit of an afterthought at Auburn, and you do have someone in Warren Washington that's able to give you some rebounds. Arizona State, honestly, a relatively solid defensive team in terms of their offense. It's really 
really lacking, and now they have to go up against Hunter Dickinson, a guy that's able to give you 15-plus points per contest. Spacing the floor a little bit as well. He's able to pop a few threes. I do like his overall game. And then when it comes to the rest of this bunch with Michigan, you've got Jet Howard, who's really going into takeover mode. He's six foot eight. He's able to bury some threes. Jalen Llewellyn, who comes in from Princeton after he was a good sharpshooter for them last season. He's able to help facilitate the ball as well. Got a lot of depth with this team. I do like these rides forward. Now we're seeing out of Terrence Williams a second as well. Only seven points and seven rebounds yesterday overall for the season. Averaging right around eight or so boards per contest. So that is able to help out Hunter Dickinson down low. You've got a lot of depth. I do think that Kobe Bufkin is starting to take some strides forward as well. And Joey Baker being able to can some threes. That is big for Michigan. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more tame and got to wonder if the back-to-back is going to be wearing on these teams. So I did set my total as a result at a 135 and a half. So 135 or less looking at the over 136 or higher to the under. And so Michigan has a nine and a half point favorite. So looking to lay nine or less with them. If I'm getting double figures, I will take the points with Arizona State. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today. So we go into the bonus. We start with 306-527, St. Francis of Pennsylvania is going to be on the road facing off against Butler. Butler is a favorite of between 17 and 17 and a half points in your total on this game. It is there between 140 and a half and 141. And with Butler, I made them a 20 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Butler. This team, in my opinion, was quite a bit underrated by a lot of the analytics sites coming into the season. Thad Mata is a coach I really like in Manny Bates. In all of college basketball two seasons ago, he led the country in terms of blocks on a permanent basis. Thus far this season, he's been able to give the team 21 rebounds in the first two games of the season. Now, Josh Cohen, I think, is going to be able to do a solid job. He's six foot ten. He's been able to pull in there seven rebounds per contest. Did so last season as well, but with St. Francis of Pennsylvania, the backcourt, a little bit of a question mark. You've been able to get some good facilitation out of Landon Moore, a freshman who's been able to give this team right around 5.7 assists per contest, but three-point shooting is very suspect. They're shooting 29% from distance overall. Marlon Hargis, who comes back from last season, he's been an overall a good three-point shooter throughout his career, and shooting 57% this season after shooting right around 39% the last two seasons, so he's held up this end of the bargain. He's been able to give you right around eight points per game, and then you've got Brad McCabe, who's able to give you a little bit of scoring, but I do think that Butler should be able to take it to them, even with Ali. Ali dealing with a little bit of a concussion slash a nose injury. You still got Chuck Harris, who's able to give the team double figures. Simeus Lucatius, he pretty much put... Travis Steele out of a job in the Big East tournament last season. He's a guy that I think is going to take a big freshman to sophomore leap, and Eric Hunter Jr. comes in for Purdue. Last season shot 43% per three. Good sharpshooter for Butler. You've got all the goods, in my opinion, with this Bulldog scene, both down low and in the backcourt. St. Francis, Pennsylvania, I think is just not going to be able to hold up in really either front of this game. So, as a result, I did set St. Francis of Pennsylvania as a 20.5 point underdog. I'm going to be one to lay with Butler, set my total at 134 as well. Butler still playing at one these slower styles that you're going to find in all of college basketball. So I'm going to be taking a look at this little under. 306-529-306-530. It is Monmouth, and they are going to be playing us to Norfolk State. Norfolk State is between a 5 and a 6-point favorite, and your total on this game, you're finding it at a 139. And when it comes to Norfolk State, I did set them as a favorite of 6.5 points, so I'm going to be one to lay it. Norfolk State, a team that is really good on defense. They ranked in the top 50 last season and points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they bring back their top scorer from a season ago in Joe Bryan Jr., Brian Jr. is able to give you right around 15 points per contest, and he is surrounded by a bunch of guys that are able to shoot it from three-point range. Christian Ings last season, right around eight to nine points per contest. He was able to shoot over 40% from three-point range. You've also got someone that actually led all of college basketball during the 2018-19 season among qualifying players in field goal shooting percentage with Chris Bankson, shooting 76.5% from the floor with 15 points, 8.8 rebounds per game. This guy is absolutely unstoppable down low, especially when you're facing off against a Monmouth team that doesn't have a lot of size. Miles Foster 
roster. He's looked solid this season. 12 points, 7 rebounds per game, but we saw Monmouth give up over 100 points to Illinois. They really are not doing a good job of taking care of the ball at all. They are turning the ball over 22.7 times for contest. I think that they're not going to turn the ball over 23 times in this game, but the backcourt is just a complete and utter mess. I mean, they've got 7.7 assists and 22.7 turnovers per game. That is going to go northward, and right now they are shooting 23.5% from three-point range. That's not terrific. Once again, I expect a little bit more there, and I do think that you're going to have something in Taron Allen, who last season, a little bit of a afterthought with the team, was only able to give the team two points per contest. He now has to rise up into a bigger role, and we're seeing a lot of that with Monmouth. They've got a little bit of talent, someone like a Kelman Vulga, who comes in from Slovenia. I do like his overall game. That said, it's a Monmouth theme that they're very much in transition right now. I'm going to lay the six I'm seeing right now with Norfolk State. I made them a six-half point favorite. Did something total at 136-half. Monmouth, I just don't think, is going to be able to score enough to really get this total over. The defense has been a little bit wretched, but that said, Norfolk State, solid on defense. So I do think that this is going to be a total that stays under. And with that said, I am willing to lay up to six with Norfolk State. 306-531-306-532. It is Bryant, and they are on the road facing off against Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic is a 10-point favorite, and your total on this game, finding it anywhere between a 156-half and a 158-and. I did set my total at 154-and-half, Bryant. No question about it. They're a little bit more of an up-tempo team, but I think that we went a little bit too far with this total, so it is one that I'm going to be willing to take the under on, but Florida Atlantic could only set them as a 7.5 point favorite. Michael Forrest, you could tell how important he was when the missed the game against Ole Miss. They lost by double figures when he was out there on the floor against Florida. They were able to get that nice outright win, but with Bryant, they've done a good job of being able to bring in a whole bunch of great athletes for this team, including Earl Timberlake, a former top 75 recruit that spent a little bit of time with Memphis and Miami. He should be able to upgrade, really, the overall talent of this team with Bryant as well. They should be able to do a solid job of holding up down low because Timberlake he's a good rebounder for being right around 6'5", 6'6", they bring in Kavon Kramer. When Officer was able to give you 3-4 to four rebounds per game but it's been Sharif Bullock who comes in from LaSalle and was a little bit of a solid score at LaSalle. Wasn't quite expecting this. 49 points in the first two games of the season. He's looked great as they've also got Childs Pride back in the fold. Pride last season 17.5 points 8.5 boards. Just a complete set sheet suffer. If there is an advantage for Florida Atlantic it's the fact that you've got a little bit more size down low, something like John Carlos Rosado is able to give you six rebounds per game. Vladislav Guldin is a true seven-footer for the team, and then you also have Elijah Martin. He shot 40% for three-point range last season, 14 points per contest, putting up similar numbers here in the early going this year as well. Florida Atlantic, though, they are a team that's a little bit prone to turnover, 13 per contest. Florida Atlantic, not necessarily a team that's going to gun it Bryant thus far, they're shooting 47% from three. They played against two non-D1 teams, so I do think the step-up in competition going to affect them a little bit. They're not going to be able to get the same pace that they were able to get the first few games of the season, so as a result, did shave my total down a little bit, set my total at a 154, so I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. With that said, when it comes to Florida Atlanta, it could only make them a 7.5 point favorite. I do think that it's going to be a very game opponent here in Bryant, so I'm going to be willing to take the points, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. 306, 533, 306, 534. It is South Florida, and they are going to be playing us to Austin P. The Governors are between a 7 and 7.5 7 point underdog total on this game is between 125 and a half and 126 and with South Florida, I made them a favorite of eight points. So I'm going to lay up to the seven half that we're seeing right now with Austin P. The good old Governors have something down low in Elijah Hutchins' effort. Was able to give the team eight rebounds right around 12 points per contest. So I think that he's going to be able to do a solid job going up against the South Florida team that they just have a lot of size on this roster. They have Keyshawn Bryant, who I still remember two seasons ago at South Carolina. He was able to give the team 14 and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game. And for South Florida, just a bunch at in general. You can expect 
expect them to be able to play some good hard-nosed defense. Russell Chewa, he's a true seven-footer. He's able to give you six and a half rebounds per game. Jameer Chaplin, not a guy that's going to stroke it from three-point range, but last season eight and a half points, four and a half rebounds per game. And you do finally have someone that's able to shoot it from three. Tyler Harris shot 39.5% from distance with right around nine points per contest at Memphis last season. Let's try this season. South Florida shooting 23.5% from three, and they were dead last in the country in three-point shooting percentage last season. And if you do have a trepidation with South Florida, they are not good at the free throw line. That said, Austin P is not a lights-out shooting team as well. They're shooting 65.5% the charity stripe, 27% from three-point range. Sean Robinson is someone that comes in after he spent last season at San Jose State. And while he was at San Jose State, put up solid numbers, 7.5 points, 4.5 rebounds per contest. You've got someone, Carlos Payas, who's able to do out the ball, doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot. Like and Austin P, they're able to get some steals, but as I said, I do think that the defense of South Florida is going to be able to win out in a game of which there's not going to be a lot of offense generated. I do think that Harris who has been, just throughout his career, a very solid shooter, is going to be able to bust out and have a big performance here. Made South Florida an 8-point favorite, willing to lay it with them, and made my total 124, so also take a look at the under. 306-535, It is Albany, and they're going to be playing on the road against St. Joe's. St. Joe's is hoping to not be average Joe's. As a favorite of 8 points, Collins game is 133.5. Made St. Joe's an 8.5-point favorite. 8 is the absolute max I'm willing to lay, but I'm going to be willing to lay it. This is a... Team in Albany that they're right now dealing with Dwayne Killings, their coach, dealing with some off-the-court issues in terms of, like, a beautiful player that's not necessarily too savory and bigger than that is the fact that Justin Neely, who averaged right around 9 points per contest last season, he has been out due to an injury and it looks like he's going to be missing once again so that means that they're going to be relying upon Aaron Reddish. I believe that that is of relation to Cam Reddish. Last season was not able to really get out there on the floor. You can tell that he had some upside. He's been able to give the team 31 points in the first three games of the season but you need someone like a Sarju Patel who last season at Cornell was able to give the team 9.5 points, shot 35% from three-point range to be able to bust out and have some big performances and for St. Joe's, they're really relying upon guys as a freshman to be able to step up and or to be able to take that freshman to sophomore leap like an Eric Reynolds the second last season. He was solid. 12 points per game, shot 33.5% from three, two and a half assists per game. They need him to be able to facilitate a little bit more because Right now, Lynn Greer, who comes in from Duquesne and really didn't play at all at Duquesne last season, he's having to dole out the ball. That is a little bit of an issue, but for St. Joe's, they do have a little bit of upside, in my opinion. They've been able to get eight and a half rebounds per game out of Casper Klanzech. I heard very good things about him. Kid from Poland, who last season saw a few starts towards the beginning slash back half of the season. He's been able to do a solid job down low for this team. Both of these teams leaving a little bit of something to be desired, but the injury issues of Albany, I think, are going to be very prevalent in this game. I did set St. Joe's as a result, as an 8.5 point favorite. St. Joe's typically a little bit more of an up-tempo team. Albany looking to play a little bit more slowly, but with Albany dealing with those injuries, I do think that it's going to affect their defense. Set my total at a 136, so also taking a look at this total over. 306, 537, 306, 538. This is Troy, and they're going to be facing out against Merrimack at Dahlberg Arena, as Merrimack is a 5-5.5 to point underdog, and your total on this game is a 135. And with Merrimack, I made them the very slight favorite, so I think that the wrong team is favored. I'm going to be looking at the Merrimack Warriors on the money line. Now, I do think that they should be named the Merrymen. That is a discussion for another day. I and my entire family would buy Merrymen jerseys, but that's it with Merrimack. Jordan Miner is going to be major for this team. Last season, he was able to put up 15 points, 8 boards, 2.5 blocks per contest. He is back to be the low post presence of a Merrimack team that they always play that amoeba zone that just generates a whole bunch of steals. This is a bunch that they're averaging already 12.5 steals per contest in their first two games of the season. A little bit of new look. Mikey Watkins, uh, the 
fold in the backcourt, but you bring back a pair of guys like a Jordan McCoy who's able to shoot it from three-point range. Michael Deering, who last season shot 35% from distance, was able to put up nine points per game two seasons ago. A very good free-throw shooter. That is going to be able to help them out. They don't necessarily have a ton down low, but I do like Ziggy Reed, who was a combo player that last season shot in the low 30s from three-point range, 11 points, five rebounds per game. Meanwhile, for Troy, Kiefer Punter is able to give out a few assists. So, and I saw Troy is another team that they do a good job of generating seals. They've been able to average over 12 seals per contest, and I do like Nelson Phillips coming in from Georgia State. He is someone that last season was able to average right around 7.5 points, at about 34% for three-point range, seal and a half per game. He perfectly fits what Scott Cross is looking to do with his program. Say Williams, a guy that averages right around 7 to 8 rebounds per game. He saw it as well, but question marks about Darius McNeil. He was able to play one game for the team, but he's sort of been in and out of the fold, and that's just really been him in general. He has never been able to stay out there on the floor fully healthy. Troy is one of those teams in which the hole is greater than some of its parts, but Merrimick is as well, but with Merrimick, they just have such a unique style that it's really hard to prepare for if you don't see it very often, and I think that that's going to throw Troy for a big giant loop. As a result, I did make Merrimick the very slight favorite in this one. I'm going to be willing to take them as a money line underdog, as this is going to be a game that's played in Montana, so about as, about as neutral as a neutral court can get in this one, and with the total, set it at a 128. Both of these teams have their issues shooting it from three. Both of these teams hang their head on defense, so looking at this total under. 3 is 6 5 39, 3 is 6 5 40. You've got Boston U, and they're going to be playing also Hartford. Hartford is an underdog of between 13 to 13 and a half points. So on this game is 139 and a half to 140 and a half. And when it comes to Hartford, I did set them as a underdog of 13 points at 13 and a half. It is the buy point in which I'm willing to take a look at them with this. Boston U team. Well, the big thing for them is that they are missing their double-double machine from last season in Sukmail Mathansa. And it's really going to be hurting them as he was able to do a nice job down low. Now they bring back Walter White. He is breaking bad as he was able to give the team 19 points, 5.5 boards. So far this season, last season shot 38% for three with more like 13 points per game. So he's been able to do a solid job there. And Briggs McLean has been a very solid for a Hartford team that let's call it what it is. They're in a little bit of dysfunction right now. Last season had five and a half points per contest. He has become the man for them. 19 points per game. Peno Pavadilas, he has been able to do a nice job. Give the team seven and a half rebounds per game. Jared Kimbrough, who began his career at LaSalle, he's been able to give the team five plus rebounds per game. It's a little bit of a disjointed Hartford team, but got to figure that there's going to be positive progression on their three shooting. They find 12 of 59 from distance in their first three games of the season. I do think that they're going to be able to pick it up a little bit. Not like I think that they're going to be like a 35 plus percent three-point shooting team or anything like that, but that's at Boston U. Sometimes they can be a little bit lax in giving up the three-point arc themselves. They've got some okay facilitation on this team as you've been able to get right around three assists per contest out of Miles Brewster. You've got someone that last year shot right around 45% from three-point range and Ethan Britton Watts. That was actually two seasons ago for him as he's been and able to be a nice off-the-bench sort of role player. They need him to play a little bit of a bigger role this season, though, and Nevin Zink, since he's come over from UMC Upstate, it's been okay on the glass. As an SC been able to deliver a lot of scoring. Boston U, a very slow, methodical team. Hartford, they're giving up a lot on defense, so something's got to give. Semi-total of 137. I'm looking under, and with Boston U, going to make them a 13-point favorite, so we'll to take 13 and a half or more with Hartford. 306-541, 306-542. It is Kentucky, and they're going to be playing us to South Carolina State. South Carolina State, between a 38 and a 38 and a half point underdog in your total on this game between 145 and 145 and a half. I said Kentucky as a sizable favorite. I set them as a favorite of 35 and a half points. I think that this line has just gotten a little bit too lofty. 
We saw Oscar Shibway completely take over that game against Michigan State until he falls out in the overtime session. So I like what I'm seeing there. Savio Wheeler, still not the world's greatest three-point shooter, but you've got C.J. Frederick around him. He was a 40% three-point shooter while he was at Iowa State. Antonio Reeves was a about 20-point-per-game guy while he was out in the Missouri Valley Conference as well. So I mean, these guys are going to be able to do their part. With South Carolina State, though, keep in mind they played South Carolina to single digits on the road a few days ago now. They're also coming off of getting just completely boat race by Duquesne as well, but Luson Hollums has come in, and he's been able to give the team 13 points per contest. A 91 transfer has looked solid thus far this season. You've been able to get a little bit of production out of Rakeem Gary. Gary last season was more of an off-the-bench roll guy that was able to pop a few threes, shooting 35.5% from three-point range. You've also got someone in Rashawn Edwards, who's an undersized guy that's able to give you a few boards, able to give you a few assists, has been averaging right around 8-9 to nine points per game, so he's got overall a little bit of upside Kentucky, I think, is going to be very content to rest a few guys in this game because they have been dealing with injuries to guys like a Shibway, someone like a... Savia Wheeler dealt with a little bit of an ailment as well as long Damian Collins. So I do think that these guys that are dealing with those injuries, I think that they're going to be rested quite a bit more in this game. I think that Kentucky takes a foot off the gas a little bit. I think it's enough for them to be able to win by 35. I don't think that they're able to cover quite 38, though. So I'm going to be wanting to take the points with South Carolina State. Did some, I told at 143. South Carolina State, I think, is going to have a very tough time scoring against Shibway and all those trees down those. So I'm also taking a look at this total under as we go to 306 540 It is Samford, and they are on the road facing off against Alabama AM. AM is an underdog of between 7.5 and 8 points, and Toronto's game is anywhere between 147.5 and 148.5. And with Alabama AM, I did set them as the 8-point underdog in this game. So at 7.5, I'm going to be willing to lay it with Samford. Samford has quite a bit of talent, in my opinion, but they have not played against a D1 opponent yet this season. Last year, when they went up against their D1 foes, they were able to do a very very solid job, and I expect Quez Glover to have another very solid year. He was able to average right around 17 points per contest. Sometimes got a little bit happy with the turnovers, but that said, able to do a nice job of being able to chip in there a little bit over a seal per game as well. Jermaine Marshall should be the best little post player in this game last season. 13 points, 8 boards, seal per contest. Someone that's able to have a little bit of versatility as well, and the big X factor, they bring in Bubba Parham. Parham has been in college basketball for seemingly an eon, but his last fully healthy season at a mid-major school with VMI, the 2018-19 campaign. 21.5 points, 3.5 assists on 39.5% three-point shooting on 9 threes per game. That guy is able to fill it up and for Alabama A&M, it's just all about Garrett X right now. Last season he was able to give the team 14 points, 4 boards, shot 36% from three-point range. We've got someone that's able to do out the ball right around 3.5 assists per contest out of Cameron Tucker and they bring in Messiah Thompson. They transferred from Gamble two seasons ago, shot 40% from three with 8.5 points per contest. He's done a solid job of helping out the team, but you really don't have anything down low for this team. You've been able to get right around four and a half rebounds per game out of EJ Williams. I've been waiting for this guy to erupt for a very long time. It is yet to happen. I just don't know if it's ever going to happen with them. Alabama A&M very thin in terms of their rotation. Meanwhile, Sanford, their team that's willing to go eight to nine deep. I think this is a little bit of a matchup nightmare for this Alabama A&M team. As a result, set Sanford as an eight-point favorite. Willing to lay the seven and a half with them. Semi-total at a 148. It's 
It's in between the 147.5 and a 148.5. Alabama A&M was actually relatively solid on defense last season, so I would rather take a 147.5 under rather than a 148.5 over. I will be gauging this overnight myself, but I'd be looking at the 148.5 under personally and willing to lay up to 7.5 with Sanford. 306-545-306-546. It is Illinois State. They're going to be playing us during Northwestern State. The Demons of Northwestern State are a favorite of between 8.5 and 9.5 points. Your total on this game, it is between 134 and 134.5. 7 by 12, 136.5. Looks like Illinois State is playing very much more slowly after Dan Muller last season. He was fired at the end of the campaign, so got a little bit of regime change in there, but that said, Northwestern State, even though they're playing a little bit slower as well, they've got guys that are able to put the biscuit in the basket. Jamonte Black, he's able to give the team 13 points per contest. He was a big part of the win that they had over TCU as he was able to score double figures in that game, and you may recall that this was a game that was actually played last week when Northwestern State, they were part of Bad Beats, they had that nice bank shot to be able to cover that spread, so that is something that I do find to be a little bit ironic. Northwestern State is going to have a little bit of a tough time on the glass as you've got Illinois State with by far the best rebounder in this game in Kendall Lewis. He's averaging 16.5 points, 13.5 boards on the last time these two teams played. 24 points, 13 rebounds. He's had at least 13 rebounds in all three of his games thus far this season. Isaac Haney, he's got 4.5 rebounds. He's leading the way with Northwestern State as he's been able to do a solid job. 12 points per game. He's only six foot two though, so that is a bit of a problem for Northwestern State. I do think that they're probably going to need to try to unleash with Jordan Wilmore, their seven foot three big man. A little bit more in this game. He's been getting about 11 half to 12 minutes per contest. But the other guy they do like is Dane Prem. He comes in from the junior college level. He's been able to do a solid job being able to give the team 10 points per contest. Got a Northwestern State team shooting about 36.5% from three-point range. So I do like what they've been able to do from the outside on the inside. They've been getting a little bit decimated in it for Illinois State. Been up and down for them in terms of their three-point shooting. They're just looking to find that main facilitator. They don't have one guy that has been able to give them more than three assists per game. It's been really Luke Casabuque, who is a 6'5 combo player, has been able to give out three assists per contest, shooting it well from three-point range. They could use a little bit more facilitation out of Malachi. Point Desiger, in my opinion, who's given the team 11 points per contest, but I do think that this total is a little bit too low. I do think the Northwestern State, with their outside shooting, they're going to be able to hang in there. I think that you're going to see Illinois State win the battle on the glass, but Northwestern State holding up in the backcourt will allow them to cover this number once again. Set Illinois State as an eight-point favorite. Also, something that I factor is just trying to beat a team back-to-back times. I do think that that could be a little bit of an issue. So, looking at the over and looking at the points with the Demons. 306-547-306-548. LSU is going to be playing us to New Orleans. New Orleans between a 23.5 and a 24-point underdog. Toronto's game is anywhere between 145.5 and 146.5 and with LSU, set them as a 23-point favorite. So, I'm going to be willing to uh, take the points with New Orleans getting 24 or more with New Orleans certainly has been a team in a little bit of transition and has been really one of the top over teams in all of college basketball last few seasons as well. As a matter of fact, the top over team. They bring in a kid in Jordan Johnson that I liked last year at Denver. He was able to average 11 points per contest on 39% three-point shooting. He's gotten 29 points in the first two games of the season this year, and he's really an X-factor in terms of the transfer portal. They also bring in Caleb Wilson-Rouse, who was a part-time starter at Pacific last season. Not a great three-point shooter, but someone that's able to give you a little bit of facilitation. Good on-ball defense. Daniel Sackey is really doing a lot more of the dishing for the team as he came in for Valparaiso a few seasons ago and last year he was able to give out right around three assists. He was able to chip in there a couple boards right around some points per contest. Just does a little bit of this and that for New Orleans. Not a lot of size down though. That is going to hurt them against
has somewhat very versatile KJ Williams. He's six foot ten, fourteen point sign board, shooting over forty percent from three point range this season. Adam Miller is back in the fold, former top seventy five recruit who when I was at Illinois was a starter two seasons ago. Missed all of last season due to a torn ACL, but he's back and he's firing all cylinders for the same Jalen Hill. Also followed their coach in Mac McMahon over from Murray State. So you've got some good chemistry there. Derek Fountain is someone that's able to give you some good production down low and Moani Wilkerson is really the lone holder for from last season with LSU. He's been able to do a solid job giving this team a few rebounds. And Trey Hannibal, good ball hawking guard that doesn't necessarily shoot it well from three, but he's able to generate a few steals. But with that said, I do think that New Orleans, with bringing in Jordan Johnson, that gives them a little bit of fight in the backcourt that allow them to hold in this game. And New Orleans, their team that they really, really crank up the tempo. LSU, not a fast team, not a slow team. They're relatively efficient on both sides of the ball. So in this spot, I did set my total at a 151. I'm going to be looking at the over with LSU. Made them a favorite of 23 points. I'm willing to take the 24 that I'm currently seeing with New Orleans. 306-549-306-550. It is Texas A&M Corpus Christi. They're going to be playing on CET Rio Grande Valley. Grande Valley is an underdog of 11 points. Your total on this game, it is 145.5 with UT Rio Grande Valley. Set them as a 12.5 point underdog. Texas A&M Corpus Christi does a terrific job of being able to generate steals and Corpus Christi is a punch that they bring back Isaac Mushila from last season. He was able to give the team right around 17.5 points. Nine boards per contest here in do is a double-figure score from the backcourt that is able to rip the ball away as well, and they're going up against a UT Rio Grande Valley team that is just all about Justin Johnson. He's really the only guy that averaged more than two points per contest that is back from last season. And I mean, last season, 17.5 points, 6.5 boards. He was able to give the team 2.5 assists, shot 33% from three. He's rock solid, but you need a little bit more from these guys. They bring in Dalen Williams. He was at Cleveland State a few seasons ago. He's been able to give the team 9.3 rebounds per contest to begin the season, but two of those games were against Southwest Aventus and St. Francis of Illinois. When they played against Kansas State, they got completely manhandled, losing that game by 34 points, so not too terrific as Johnson did his part, and really nobody else did. Adante Holloman is going to need to step up. He's been able to give the team right around 9 points per contest. Has been a good sharpshooter for the team, and they do bring in Dima Zidor. I remember a few seasons ago, he was at Weber State giving the team right around 4.5 rebounds per game, but it's a UT Rio Grande Valley team that they don't have anything down low. They're a team that they're very careless with the ball, but is looking to play rather up-tempo, so that is not a good combination. Corpus Christi, they're a team that they're not afraid to gun it as well. I did set my total at 154.5. As a result, I'm looking over with Corpus Christi. Want to lay 12.5 with them. I think that this is a bad matchup for UT Rio Grande Valley. 306-551-306-552. It is Marquette. They're going to be playing us at Long Island. Long Island is an underdog of between 24 and 24.5 and points. Your tolerance game is anywhere between 150.5 and, and 151, and with Marquette, I did make them a favorite of just 19 points, so I'm going to be willing to take them with Long Island Long Island, a bunch that they're in a little bit of transition because they bring in Rod Strickland as their coach, but that said, I do think that he's going to be able to do a solid job of being able to coach these guys up. He was still able to find a little bit via the transfer portal to be able to help them out, so and it's going to be very, very important going up against a Marquette team that they've got a guy in Tyler Kolek who was able to stuff the stat sheet last season, was able to give up five assists, does a good job of being able to generate some steals this season. He's been averaging 10 assists per game. Now, Keon Burns, who comes in for this Long Island team last season, he was a little bit of someone that came in off the bench was able to give the team a few boards per contest. He's become their main point guard as he's been able to give up five assists per game when he's been out there. Marco Melatik, he has been able to do a solid job as well. Six foot six, a little bit of a combo player, has been able to give the team 26 points in the two games that he's played in this season. So I do like to see that from him. They still have 
in the fold from last season, Trey Wood, someone who always has been someone they thought was going to be a bust out last year. Six half points, four assists, three boards, but not a guy that's stroking it too well from three-point range down low. They've been able to get some good production out of someone like a Jacob Johnson. Johnson was at UMKC as a starter the last two seasons, and he's able to give you right around five points per game, career about 38.5% three-point shooter as a 6 foot 5 combo player and for Marquette. You just don't necessarily have a lot of explosive players for this team. Very surprised that they did not go into the transfer portal. David Joplin, he's been able to come in, and he's given the team 48 points the first three games of the season. Cam Jones, good spot-up shooter overall, but Marquette, not a supreme three-point shooting team. They weren't last season. They aren't this season shooting 31.5% from three. They turned the ball over a little bit too much. The metrics in general just are not favorable for them. I'm willing to take the points with Long Island, set them as a 19-point dog. Long Island, typically a team that plays up-tempo. Don't think that that's going to be any different. Set my total at 151, so 150 and a half or less looking at the over, and we wrap things up with 3 of 6, 553, 3 of 6, 554. Compensate is on the road facing off against Tennessee Tech, as Tennessee Tech is an underdog of 2.5 to 3.5 points. Dawn's game is between 147 and 147 with the Compensate. I am willing to lay up to 3.5 with them. Compensate has really impressed me here in the beginning part of the season. Sam Sessions, double-figure score while he was in the Big Ten last season has come in, and he has been able to do an amazing job with his team as he's lighting it up for 23 points per contest. He's shooting 40% for three-point range and chipping in their five-and-a-half assists per game. Showing off that game, it's Eric Oliver who's having to really run the show in the backcourt for the Tennessee Tech team last season at South Dakota. Was able to give the team six points per contest, shot it well from three-point range, but now he's really had to take on a new role along Ty Perry. Perry was solid in the Patriot League for Lafayette, putting up 12 points right around three assists per contest last season. And it's always been about a 36, 37% three-point shooter. But for compensate, Justin Steers has done a nice job being able to give the team seven rebounds per game. You've got the Robert Morris transfer and Justin Winston who has come in. He's been able to give the team 10 points. Not a great three-point shooter, but at six foot eight, has good versatility. Mikey Oda is able to give you double figures on any given night. And for Tennessee Tech, just our breath of anyone down low giving you a lot. It's been up to Jalen Sabri, who's six foot seven, has been really looking to refine the form they had as a freshman where he had nine and a half points four boards at Florida Atlantic. Since then, he has seen his numbers really taper off, and when it comes to Tennessee Tech, they're overall not a great shooting team, making 60% of their free throws. They don't have that one guy that's really able to throw out the ball other than Perry, so as a result, the turnovers are just horrendous for them when you don't have a lot of size and you don't necessarily have great ball handlers. That just leads to a little bit of a mess. Compensate one of the fastest teams in all of college basketball. Tennessee Tech looked to play a little bit more of a slow tempo, but I think the Compensate wins out with their style, and I do think that this could come down to late game Falling will delay up to three and a half with compensate and set my total at 148. So looking over as well, and that will wrap things up for the uh, Thursday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Vison family of podcasts. Big thanks to Eli Becker over at Heat Tech CBB for joining me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, here, but to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM, maybe he does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other way. That is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via the five star review. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the season on this podcast. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.